listening to Radio Sputnik. Telling the untold. Welcome to the Open University of the Airwaves with George Galloway. Only on Sputnik Radio. Welcome to the mother of all talk shows, the biggest political show on television and radio in the entire world. 624,000 views last week, plus the hundreds of thousands who merely listened. This is the global open university of the airwaves, where there are no tuition fees and where you are positively encouraged to speak back to the teacher. Another week of murder and mayhem and mass unemployment, mass deaths as a result of the coronavirus in the United States of America. Last week we'll be talking to the man who knows the country and its economy better than anyone else on the planet, Professor Richard D. Wolfe in the final hour, so stay tuned for him. And we'll be talking with Beijing, something the British government might usefully do themselves in the week when they cancelled Huawei for security concerns. Kowtowing to President Trump, more like. We'll be talking about the coronavirus still cutting its swathe through the people of Britain. So fasten your seatbelts. This is rock and roll radio with pictures, and it's going to be a bumpy ride. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. The mother of all talk shows. The only education you can get for free. George Galloway. This is Radio Sputnik. And this is London, but coming to you, of course, all over the world, thanks to the wonders of the internet and sputniknews.com. We're on FM in the Washington, D.C. area, 105.5 are the magic numbers there. And on AM, from burning city to burning city in the United States, right from coast to coast. And, of course, you can listen to us throughout the entire world on sputniknews.com. But as I said earlier, the majority of people, probably a big majority, but we can't tell how many people are listening, are watching on either Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Instagram. If you're watching on Facebook, then please share, share, share with all of your contacts and your friends. Our audience, is probably last week just under one million. The week before, over one million. And we are determined to keep it that way because that makes us by far and away the biggest political show in the media in the entire world. And you deserve the fair you've got in front of you tonight. We'll be talking to the foremost American economist and political analyst, Professor Richard D. Wolfe in New York City. And we'll be talking to our own Moats medic, Dr. Ranjit Brar, who's talked us through the coronavirus pandemic right from the very beginning. He's a man with an interest also in China, and it's China that we'll talk about first uh, with uh, Tom McGregor 
in Beijing. I don't know what time it is there. I have a feeling it's very early in the morning, in which case we're very grateful to him. And the proximate reason for that, of course, is the decision by the British government to kowtow low uh, to the most controversial president in the United States political history, who might actually even be out of office before the order to ban Huawei, before the ink on that order is even dry. The British government earlier in the year decided to keep Huawei in the 5G rollout. But now they say, citing security concerns, that they can no longer do so, and have, in fact, therefore, ignited a trade war with China. Just as we are looking over the abyss after the coronavirus into actual economic collapse, just after we have fallen out with 27 countries in the European Union who were our biggest market, the British government has now added China to Russia and the 27 members of the EU as people were either on non-speaking terms with or sending gunboats to their maritime perimeter. I'm not making that up. We have dispatched our only aircraft carrier to the waters around China. What could possibly go wrong? Well, the last time we dispatched a gunboat up the Yangtze was in 1949, and the Chinese Navy promptly sunk it and called it the Yangtze Incident. And it caused a lot of trouble here in Britain. We weren't used to whippersnappers like the young Chinese People's Republic sinking our gunboats. But of course, China has come a long way since 1949. So has Britain, but in the opposite direction. And so dispatching a warship called after Her Majesty to China is a decidedly risky enterprise, and we better hope that nothing goes wrong. When we get there, of course, we'll be joining a veritable fleet of American warships uh, with uh, um, strategic bombers from the United States Air Force flying overhead. As I say, what could possibly go wrong with all of this? in the middle of a trade war, in the middle of a propaganda offensive of unprecedented ferocity, we're actually sending military assets into harm's way. And for what? Well, I can think of only one reason, because Donald Trump wants us to. And the only reason Donald Trump has gone on the warpath with China is to divert attention from the Democratic Party's attack on him as a Russian agent, as a Manchurian candidate. How crazy is it that the richest country in the world, the most powerful country in the world, is actually confronting two nuclear-armed superpowers only for the reason that the other party is targeting a different nuclear-armed superpower? Joe Biden in the basement tapes, still sleepy, still creepy, is pumping out, would be the wrong word, squeaking out his anti-Russian propaganda on a daily basis. So Trump has gone on the warpath against Beijing. Whatever the cost to the 
ailing US economy. And of course, that ailing economy is what we will be talking about later. But what about the British economy? Can we afford uh, to be making all these enemies? China, a country of 1.4 billion people, might have been a tasty market. Certainly that's what David Cameron and George Osborne believed it would be when they launched what they called the golden era of British-Chinese relations, now in absolute ruin. China is going to retaliate, and I think fearsomely, against the British economy as a result of this slap in the face over Huawei. But is it deserved? We're asking in our poll, why did Britain cancel the Huawei 5G deal? Was it A, security concerns, or was it B, political machinations? It has to be B, really, uh, because if China was a threat to our national security through Huawei on 5G, we wouldn't be allowing them still to operate on 4G. We wouldn't be allowing them still to operate on 3G. We wouldn't be allowing them to operate our trains. And we wouldn't be allowing them to operate our nuclear, nuclear, nuclear power stations. So it's safe to let China operate our nuclear power stations, but it's not safe uh, to let them platform Baby Bus and Peppa Pig or whatever else you watch on your 5G mobile telephone. When you put it like that, it just seems utterly ridiculous, does it not? And if China was a threat to our national security through 5G, well, we'd be banning them now, wouldn't we? Not in 2027, when I promise you 5G will be very last year. So get voting on that poll. Why did Britain cancel the Huawei 5G deal? A, security concerns. B, political machinations. Now, there's no need for you to have one eye on BBC One because I'll be keeping you updated as to the score in the FA Cup semi-final because somebody is keeping me updated. Let's take a quick break, and after which, it's Tom McGregor of cctv.com, who's a pan-view commentator and an editor on China and on Trump. Stay tuned. Radio Sputnik. Tune in every Tuesday to Loud and Clear for a regular segment called False Profits, a weekly look at Wall Street and corporate capitalism, where we talk about the big economic issues of the week from the point of view of working people, the poor, and the U.S. position in the global economy. Join us this Tuesday and every Tuesday with financial policy analyst Daniel Sankey right here on Radio Sputnik. Want to talk? Get in touch with us at radio at sputniknews.com. We are talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are listening. We give you the most essential out of the endless information space. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. Radio Sputnik.
We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We give you the most essential information out there. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. George Galloway and the mother of all talk shows. Join us at the College of Knowledge, where there are no tuition fees. Now we need your telephone calls, especially if you're Paul, the shadow chancellor of the Exchequer up there in Scotland, the man who believed that you would be allowed in an independent Scotland to quantitatively ease the English currency. Uh, they may have put a straitjacket on him and he may not be able to dial, uh, but if he is out there, we very much hope that he calls us. Here's the number, 02077 982255, if you're in the United Kingdom. That's 02077 982255. Or if you're in the US, 001757744480. Or you can tweet us, of course, as many of you do, at George Galloway or at RTUK News preferably uh, both of us. Uh, and some social arrived already. By email, Jim says, uh, you remember last week we talked a lot about the Maxwell affair, the Ghislaine Maxwell affair, and my part in the downfall of her father, Robert Maxwell. Uh, Jim says, quite surprised to read that the court refused Maxwell bail. Perhaps the authorities are going to play it tough. Mind you, the same news item I read stated that the feds had to break into her mansion to arrest her, which I don't believe for a minute. I think they did uh, have to break into the mansion, and that's one of the reasons why she didn't get bail. That and having a mobile phone wrapped in tinfoil in the vain hope that no one would be able to detect her signal. Uh, I don't know why they, gave her, uh, they refused to give her bail, I do know now that she's in mortal danger, and her suicide next week was very sad indeed. And on Facebook, Asif says, I think the establishment will look after Ghislaine, like Prince Andrew. The powers above probably spent the last year preparing her. It's a joke, it took that long to bring her in. So in any case, it will either be brushed to one side or she'll suddenly disappear. And Robin says, what does Boris have to say about Huawei. I thought he questioned what alternative the United States can provide. Well, there is no alternative. The uh, downside uh, on top of all those I mentioned of dropping Huawei from 5G is that we will not get a 5G rollout for three years. Three years it has set us back. Uh, anyway, that's uh, about Boris. Lex says the big problem with COVID in the US uh, there's so many people without health insurance who dare not visit a doctor and actively will not go to any health institution because of the risk of a severe and unreasonable financial mugging by them. This is suggestion suggesting the infection counts could be missing one third to three quarter of the data. Well, if you think about it, there were 60 million people in the US who didn't have health care insurance. On top of those are those many millions of the newly unemployed whose health care insurance was tied to their jobs. And Carmen says, I'm not convinced that the names of the so-called elite appearing on recorded tapes 
will ever be revealed to the public. Maybe a few names, but not all. I'd be interested in any names at all. Why did Britain cancel Huawei? Security concerns, 34%. Political machinations, 66%. You can vote now on my Twitter feed. Now, Tom McGregor is an American conservative. He's not by any means an enemy of Donald Trump, uh, but he lives in Beijing. And so he's having to reevaluate life, not just because he's living so far away, but because his president, the one he, I'm pretty sure he would have long supported and would have enthusiastically supported in the November election, has declared economic war and maybe more on the country in which he's living and into which he is married. He's Tom McGregor, top man. He's on the screen now, I hope. Tom, thank you for joining us at what I'm sure is, if not an unearthly hour, an inhospitable one. Uh, now, let's uh, talk about the British first. Uh, were you okay. shocked, shocked at the British government's, uh, I think, uh, unwarranted, but certainly uh, earthquake-making uh, decision on Huawei this week? No, I had predicted this a few months ago when I was talking to many Chinese people. I was also talking to some, let's just say, important people in China, and I had warned them that uh, the United Kingdom, uh, Brussels, the European Union are also likely to start to uh, uh, place some more restrictions on Huawei. Uh, what's going on is that uh, many countries are starting to worry a little bit about China. Uh, Washington has power right now. Uh, the U.S. is the largest consumer market, okay? So because countries can make more money from the United States by exporting than they could to China, uh, you're going to see right now a lot of countries uh, follow suit and sort of support the Washington for this moment, and that would also include uh, Huawei issues on Huawei. But will that still be true when the American economy is falling off a cliff? I mean, how many imports are American consumers going to be in a position to buy now? There's 30 million people unemployed. There's mass yeah. poverty in the United yeah. States. So uh, another, will that calculation continue to be true? Well, another major issue that I've had uh, I've had to focus on, and I I talk to a lot of people who are just uh, focused on money issues, and what I'm telling people now is the big trend is known as localization. Every country is going to try its part to improve their manufacturing base. They're going to do what they can to manufacturing inside, so make local sell local. Uh, you're going to also see this in the United Kingdom. I believe you're not right now, but soon you'll see this happening in the European Union. And this is exactly what's occurring right now in the United States. It's a major trend. I'm, all in, favor. I'm all in favor of that, aren't you? Sure. I'm, I'm all in favor. I mean, uh, the, it's ridiculous that we are uh, depending on China uh, you know, for a for a plaster for our cut finger. Uh, it's yeah. ridiculous that these long lines, supply lines, uh, supply line uh, chains 
uh, have yeah. become so globalized. I'm against globalization. Yes, I know, and I, I appreciate that, George. I've seen some of your comments. Uh, I fully support a lot of your uh, what you're saying about localization. Now, uh, tell me this: what conceivable truth can there be uh, in banning Huawei for security reasons? When, as I said in my introduction, uh, they're sure. still in 4G, still in 3G, still running on yes. nuclear power plants. So how can yeah. it be? How can there be a security concern about uh, people watching Peppa Pig on their phone? Well, maybe you should have been asking Theresa May about that. Theresa May was really into this. Uh, she was pushing these deals before Boris Johnson. Uh, I, you know, but of course, you know, in China, uh, the the what's really happening? Of course, they're going to support Huawei. But at the same time, I believe this localization is a major trend. So uh, the weakness right now is is how what is the United Kingdom going to do to replace uh, a Huawei? And they're going to have to rely on uh, maybe European or U.S. Uh, telecom technologies to to do that. And it's going to put them behind another year or two to play catch up because Huawei is right now the major leader in the field of 5G networks. And they're already starting R&D on 6G. I heard right now they, if they wanted to introduce 6G, Huawei could do it at this moment. Uh, but uh, with localization, you're going to see this trend where companies are going to try to fight for their national companies first. Uh, I believe this is going to be a major trend for the next few years. And, and, and it's one of those reasons why I believe Trump is going to get reelected. We'll come to that. Uh, but you, you discount entirely that there are justified security concerns for no. canceling the, the, Huawei. Yeah, the absolute, the, that's not happening. OK, first of all, and I've actually talked to technology experts in China. They have assured me that they, uh, Huawei has developed, and that they're also even working with Japanese companies to develop technologies that put a kill switch on, on them from spying. So even if they try to spy, there is a certain kill switch that can get turned on to prevent the information going to Beijing. That is absolutely not the reason. Or, or that is not happening. Moreover, uh, the GCHQ, the British uh, Intelligence Service, GCHQ had a real-time uh, audit, permanent audit, on uh, the Huawei's involvement in 5G. Uh, GCHQ yeah. could see everything in real time. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, uh, so the, the public are being uh, cheated here in Britain when they're being told <laughs> that the reason for this is security. Now, let me move on. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's a lie. Uh, there's just no way. It's, it's impossible. And even think about it this way. Whenever Huawei is selling a phone, they're selling tens of millions, hundreds of millions of phones. And you're going to get a lot of data come back to wherever they go into big data reports. How is Beijing going to analyze every single phone that is sold in the world? It doesn't make sense. It's outrageous. It's nonsense. I, I would have preferred if governments just said, hey, we're going to do the localization trend. Huawei, you're screwed. Well, that would at least be honest, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we can't do that because we can't. We don't have the technology ourselves. Uh, we're going to sure. cancel China and buy American or buy uh, European. Yeah. 
but localization has a, at least a decent argument. Yes, quite so. Yes. Uh, let me move exactly. on. What will okay. China do to respond uh, to this, not just economic warfare coming from Britain and the United States for that matter, uh, but the military maneuvers uh, that I talked about earlier. We're sending sure. our aircraft carrier uh, to uh, China's maritime perimeter, a perimeter yes. which, of course, the U.S. has politicized and, uh, and uh, refused to recognize. So um, this is dangerous, isn't it? Well, it's, it's dangerous when bullets are being fired. Uh, you know, you can send uh, ships all you want, but if they're not firing and they're just sort of playing war without actually doing war, uh, it's not as dangerous as it may seem. Look, look, folks, we're, if we were headed for war, I would not even be in Beijing, okay? So trust me, folks, this is not a wartime scenario. This is not a wartime pre pre prepare preparation scenario, because if it was, it's game over for the world. Okay, we're headed for World War III if China starts fighting. But uh, you're going to have certain types of situations where other countries want to show they're off their strong. So they send off their ships to sail around near, near China, and they're going to do their showing off. But as long as no bullets are being fired or, or nothing is being shot and nobody gets hurt, this is just little, little games that people play just to, to show off. What about the economy then? Will, will they respond economically to the British decision on Huawei? Uh, of course, they will do some type of response because that's how China does things. They love that tit-for-tat response. Uh, if, if I was to be uh, asked for any advice on this situation, I would sort of just let them leave it alone because the, look what happened if the U.S.-China trade wars. The more often that China responded, uh, the more often uh, Trump responded. Uh, you're, you, then you create a scenario where in, it ends up uh, China hurts itself more because you got to realize that they're the world's largest exporter. They're the world's largest manufacturer. Uh, it would probably be in their best interest to find some type of compromise uh, rather than to, can you, uh, to continue to escalate these kind of problems. Now, you said earlier that uh, you were still confident uh, that Donald Trump would, uh, yes. would be re-elected. How so? He's mm -hmm. behind in every poll. He's behind in every swing state, even though he's fighting a corpse. Well, the fact is, is fake news is fake news. The same polls that were saying Trump is way behind Biden were the same polls that said Hillary Clinton was going to win in a landslide, that she was going to win Texas. She was going to win all these states. Uh, Trump was going to lose bad. I mean, these are the same pollsters. The Democrats have learned absolutely nothing from their defeat when Hillary Clinton had lost. So they're just playing the same old games. Now, if the Democrats were actually serious and they really wanted to win, they would not have ever put Biden as their nominee, as a man who can't even speak a complete sentence and be understood by the public, a man who is hiding in his own basement, and he will not even debate Trump. Trust me, he's going, he will not do any of the three debates with Trump because he knows he's going to lose. Powerful stuff, Tom McGregor. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows.
That's Tom McGregor in Beijing. What do you think? Give me your calls, 02077-982-255. If you're in the UK, if you're in the US, 001757-744-4480. And just as I say so, Brian in Glasgow on Huawei. Let's hear from him. Brian, go ahead. Hi, George. How are you? Good. Nice to hear from you, sir. What would you like to say? Well, just as you were sort of uh, doing your introduction, I was thinking about this last week as I was looking through some of the 5G tech. Uh, obviously, the hardware is what is the proposal that has now been declined. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that this deal was probably ever going to go through, you know, an international kind of game-playing. Uh, and as they know, as your person just said there about tit-for-tat politics, they may have indeed even went along with this deal just for the timing of other machinations with the Chinese and this was never destined because I think and it's a postulation but a reasonable one is their hardware is uh, up front uh, monitoring their citizens ours is doing it in contravention of our constitutions and laws and I think that their hardware could never actually meet optimization with their hardware not because of a security issue necessarily for them being connected to their hardware, but that their hardware wouldn't necessarily merge with their hardware with intended software that our uh, agencies, including CIA, MI6, Mossad, have uh, built since the time of their promised software. Well, I, I, I honestly think uh, with every fibre, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, uh, that the security concerns issue is a complete canard. Uh, as I said, we're, uh, if we thought that they were a threat, we wouldn't let them run our nuclear power stations, at least I hope not, because if they were a threat, that would be a very dangerous thing to do indeed. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's about kowtowing to Donald Trump. And uh, if Trump is beaten in November, that's going to look pretty stupid, don't you think, Brian? Well, yeah, but I'm sure as a president, uh, like his, his predecessor, even with his own uh, you know, Malthusian approach, that he still has to kowtow. And the security issue I'm, 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 I'm citing here is, for example, the Epstein case, because for me that indicates to any reasonably minded security service that our elected representatives who have wielded power and made laws for nearly two decades have possibly been compromised by a blackmailing operation. And uh, do you, would you think that the Chinese, uh, from a warfare point of view, and I don't mean that and hostile towards China, Indeed, if China may be out of conscience, felt that we as people should know things, uh, that they would uh, feel now they've been told, no, you can't have them have this deal. And I, I don't mean in a political sense, security. Yeah. I'm just meaning security yeah. in any sort of reasonable good providence sense. Yeah, good and points. Especially to get things to hide. And I do believe the Epstein case, more than anything, uh, either means that our security services are compromised uh, because our power's been compromised. If people like Clinton and other presidential and even other important public figures who've made policy for decades have all been seen merged with Mr. Epstein, and he's connected to these blackmailing operations. This is already understood. So yes, I don't think yes, yes, we, 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 had, uh, we had the woman in front, uh, the uh, wonderful American journalist last week, yeah. and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very well worth going back to that if people are interested in this subject. So last week's show is definitely worth a watch uh, on that. It was interesting though, Brian, uh, and I was a bit surprised by it, uh, what Tom McGregor said in Beijing, and he knows the 
mind of the top leadership in Beijing. China's attitude normally uh, is, first of all, when you're weak to appear strong and when you're strong to appear weak, uh, but also uh, to uh, allow your opponent to save face. In fact, China has an ev a multi-dimensional uh, advance on that. Don't just mm -hmm. let your opponent save face, give them face uh, to yeah. save. Uh, and uh, so it will be interesting to see what China's response to all this is. Brian, a pleasure talking to you. Uh, but if you'll forgive me in Glasgow, I need to go to Los Angeles. It's Michael in Los Angeles on the same subject. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, how are you doing, George? Good. Nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Uh, well, I think that uh, your attitude towards China is a little bit misguided, to be honest with you. Um, okay. For example, uh, with the last guest you had, uh, Tom McGregor, um, he was convinced that it wasn't a security threat to have Chinese companies like Huawei running things like the 5G network or that China could retaliate in some form uh, with increased, uh, by increased sanctions from the U.S., etc. I don't think that many people realize exactly how bad the situation is in China right now. In the last two weeks, I believe, alone, there's been multiple bank runs on banks in China. It's not really reported on much in the Western press, but it's going on over there, and they're doing everything they can in their power to try and stop it because they've been preparing for this economic crash, for their bubble bursting for years now. And it seems the yeah, pandemic people, is kind uh, of pe brought... People like you have been predicting it for uh, actually um, not years, but decades, but it never happens. <laughs> well... I think that uh, it's been a little bit of a lifeline extension they've been given from complicit Western governments that have basically sold out the entire middle and working classes of our countries, sending manufacturing overseas. We're in agreement on that. Yeah, think, we are. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, most of these Chinese exports are coming from Western companies which relocated to China. Absolutely. You can and, hardly uh, blame China for that. That's, that's right. globalized I mean, capitalism. I blame, I blame the companies and I blame the corrupt politicians who are in league with them to sell out the people of the United mm. States, the UK, etc. Mm. And the problem with all this, though, is that you, um, you have a, a secondary effect that happens from all this happening with all the business going over to China. You have these companies that are exploiting these things like the intellectual property of companies. That's why you see so much counterfeiting coming out of China. That's why you see them developing products that sometimes even come out before the products that are supposed to be coming out from the actual companies itself. And China's been using this to their advantage because, as you know, the system over there, pretty much every business is controlled to some extent by the government. And they're utilizing this to enrich themselves at the expense of companies which, you know, whether or not, you know, companies, I'm not really going to shed a tear for them, but it's hurting American people, it's hurting people in the UK, it's hurting people in Europe, because you're getting lesser quality products, you're getting, in some cases, dangerous products, and I mean, a lot of that's been restricted to China, luckily, well, but look, they've uh, had uh, issues uh, Michael, and all that uh, stuff. Th this has been a very interesting call, and I'm grateful to you for it. I, I only make this point, uh, I made the first point earlier, that predictions of China's bubble bursting, uh, you'll get old still making that uh, prediction. But I heard exactly the same things when I was your age about Japan. Uh, inferior products, uh, theft of intellectual property, 
uh, even dangerous products. This is what happens in the old empires when new empires begin to emerge. And it's almost uh, racial stereotyping because Huawei is the last thing that can be described as an inferior product or as a dangerous product. Huawei is a world-class product and it's our fault that we can't make world-class products that could compete uh, properly with Huawei. On that, I think we are also in agreement. It, I believe that we should all have our own manufacturing and we should not reward, we should punish our own manufacturers when they head off to somewhere in the interest of getting their product made more cheaply. Why should we uh, allow that? Far less, why should we reward that? Do you see me? Oh, absolutely. We're in agreement here. All I'll say is just one last thing. You know, um, there are other countries that would be able to provide things. South Korea, for example, is a perfect example that would be able to provide the same kind of technology for 5G. Well, yeah, and, although um, their phones burst into flames uh, not that long ago. Michael. Uh, it was like one issue with the Samsung S8, but yeah. Well, they did. I mean, <laughs> I actually saw one burst into flames. Uh, but anyway, Michael, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you and partly agreeing and partly not. Let's get some more calls in 020-77-982-255. Or you can respond on uh, Twitter or on email. Uh, Renier says, a third option in your poll is missing. Political machinations using actual security concerns. And Sean says, because Trump says jump. Boris says, how high? Twitter user says, I don't want the Chinese government spying on everything. I only want our freedom-loving national security states and tech monopolies spying on everything I do. And on YouTube, Tim says, uh, 141, 151 people waiting on YouTube. I better put my mask on. SG says, the American people must act to stop the madness of their regime before it's too late. And on Twitter, Helen says, I've got my tea and chocolate at the ready. And on YouTube, Neil says, I've got no desire for 5G. It wastes electricity and has led to trees being chopped down. I might get around to 4G, he says, in a few years. And Abeg says, I can assure you, all tech companies have capability to track us and are monitoring us. Another company doing it is not a biggie. And James says all this 5G technology has never been proven as safe for human health, regardless of what country or corporation it comes from. And Hazel says, I was under the impression that 5G is a risk to health. Is this correct? No, Hazel, it's not correct. Uh, and on Facebook, Richard says, no security issues with Facebook and your info, haha. And by email, Tony says, other European telecoms companies use Huawei in their systems too. They all rely on Huawei technology because nobody else can provide the service. Boris has shot himself in the foot financially. Now, I did my RT short 
on this very subject. It's only three minutes. Watch this. Having walked out on 27 European countries as a result of Brexit, reducing relations with Russia to the lowest level in a hundred years, Britain has just declared economic war, at least on China. What could possibly go wrong? China has a population of 1.4 billion. Quite a market that when you've just walked out on the European Union market, which was our biggest trading partner. It is also the second biggest economy in the whole world and within five years will indisputably be the biggest economy in the world. So what does Britain do? It picks a fight with China. And literally so, we've just dispatched our only aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth, to the Chinese maritime frontier. What could possibly go wrong? The last time we sent a gunboat up the Yangtze, the Chinese sunk it, and that was in 1949. China's come a long way since then. So has Britain, but in the opposite direction. Uh, but the provocations over Hong Kong, which have now been running for years and have led to Britain welcoming three million Hong Kong Chinese immigrants all at one go. Again, what could possibly go wrong with that? Where are they going to live? Where are they going to work? And is the Conservative Party voting base quite prepared for it? Britain has now launched an even more bitter provocation against China with the banning of Huawei from the 5G rollout. This will set us back in this internet backwater of ours at least three years, but never mind. And the proximate reason for doing so, i.e. national security, is patently absurd. Not least because China is running our nuclear power stations. So it's not safe to let the Chinese platform Peppa Pig and Baby Bus on your mobile telephone, but it is safe to let them run your nuclear power plants. Go figure. And of course, if China was any threat to our national security through Huawei, we wouldn't be allowing them to run 3G and 4G. And we wouldn't be banning them in 2027. But right now, this is all being done to kowtow to Donald J. Trump, the most controversial president in American history, who might even be out of office by November, when the ink on the banning order on Huawei isn't even dry. What sense does it make to alienate 27 countries in the European Union, Russia and China, all in the one year? Does Boris Johnson have an answer to that? Because if he does, I'd like to hear it. In any case, 5G will be sold last year by 2027. Have something to say? Do you disagree with George? Then call us now and give us your view. You're watching or listening to the mother of all talk shows, a truly global university. We were in Los Angeles. Let's go to Wales and talk with John about Boris Johnson. Go ahead, John. 
Hi, uh, George. Good evening. How are things? Good. Um, Boris Johnson is, um, you see, it wasn't meant to turn out like this. He, he's a neoliberal. He wanted to have Britain do Brexit, which I supported. But he wanted to go go down the road of being the sort of kind of patronise. We'll have um, uh, low-wage Britain and um, factories and proof, proof of it. But uh, he, uh, he, he wasn't meant to be like this for him. And he doesn't have the pragmatism to deal with the pandemic crisis. Like his lockdown was half-hearted, it came too late. Then there was the crisis with the PPE, and then there's the, the crisis in the care homes. And uh, I don't really trust Matt Hancock to tell us the truth anymore. And then there's testing and tracing and tracking and all that. Uh, I just think someone else like Rishi Sunak will be better taking over and maybe Boris and say to himself, well, look, I'm not really enjoying the job anymore. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, John, I expected Boris Johnson to be a much more impressive prime minister than he's turned out to be. Uh, I saw him, of course, as the mayor of London, a kind of, I don't know, buffoonish, clownish uh, figure. Uh, but I thought that the ambience of the chamber of the House of Commons would be somewhere that he would shine. Uh, I realize now that I actually didn't see him speak in the House of Commons when I was in it. Uh, partly uh, he wasn't in it for very long while I was, and he was very junior uh, then, so he didn't speak much. Uh, but I'm surprised at how poor at the dispatch box and in debate uh, he is. He's quite lucky too because he's facing a corpse. Also, uh, a man so wooden, uh, the birds are trying to nest in him. Uh, but if he was up against anybody uh, with anything about them, uh, I think he'd be quickly uh, found out. And I do think that quite a few Tories uh, fancy Rishi Sunak, uh, a man so uh, wealthy that he probably doesn't even draw his salary and vast expenses. Oh, wait. Uh, I think that uh, Sunak is a potential uh, next leader of the Conservative Party, but are you really saying that that would take place in the lifetime of this parliament? In other words, before the next election? Uh, I'm not sure which way it will pan out, but you see, Brexit will rear its ugly head again. If Keir Starmer says to the public, uh, look, I promise you we won't go back into Europe, then Keir Starmer will be the next prime minister if there's an election, uh, which is a long way off. But uh, in the meantime, the Tories may want to say to, to Boris, look, uh, look, look, old chap, you know, all the eating education was very good and it's a good laugh and you're well-spoken and everything, uh, but we need somebody who can really deal with them Simple things like uh, the test track and trace results going to the local health health groups and testing me more widespread. Yeah, than well, uh, the devil has definitely been in the devil has definitely been in the detail for Boris Johnson on the coronavirus. Thank you very like, much, yeah. John. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, now you can always count on a great deal of interest in Scottish independence out there in South Carolina. It's Mike again on that. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, George, good to talk to you again. I never miss your show, and Thank I you. agree with you most with almost everything, and uh, even on the Huawei thing, I think this whole thing is ridiculous. It's just a, another way that uh, America and England are trying to you know, punish China. But, yeah, but, there's, not, I, but Mike, but, there's nothing in it for us. We don't have our own no. uh, uh, brand. Uh, that's right. It, it, we get You're rid right. of China and buy somebody else's.
It's true. But but what I really wanted to talk about was Scottish independence. I, I, I called you late in the show last week. We I only had a minute left and had a chance recall, to talk yeah. to you about it. But 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 here's the thing, George. I mean, I understand, and I, I want you to understand. I do not have a dog in this fight. I could care one what you know, less one way or other whether Scottish is is independent or or not. Uh, it, it's a it's a national issue issue for you guys. But I mean, if that were happening in the United States, we'd probably fight another bloody war, like the Civil War. You definitely but, uh, would. You wouldn't. You wouldn't let California yeah. secede from That's the exactly Union, right. would you? No. So. so no, so I really admire the fact that you guys can actually talk about this and really do it if you want to. Okay, but here's the thing: I, I know that you said that the vote for Scottish independence six years ago was a uh, a referendum of a lifetime. Okay. No, they and, said and that. We're talking about no, not a lifetime, Mike. Yeah, we're talking about Mike. Not a lifetime. Uh, that would be ridiculous. Although they did say it. Okay, generation. They did. They did say Is that it. Good? But they signed. Yeah. They signed, sealed, but did not deliver. A promise that it would be a once in a generation I affair. Mean, I now, understand. Six years ain't any kind of generation. Not even a generation but, but, of domestic rabbits. But here's the thing, George. Think about it like this: You did that six years ago, okay? And 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 you know, you know the Scotland side remained with the UK. Now, but just two years after that, the UK voted to leave the European Union, which which. In that same vote, uh, the Scottish people h had voted to uh, uh, remain with the UK. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the uh, European you know, Union. If I was a blunt American, I'd answer that with "So what?" But I'll be more polite. Okay, well, I'll, so I'll, I'll, I'll be more polite. If you decide to stay in a country, then that country is who makes the decision as to whether or not you leave the European Union. Uh, you you cannot have your cake and eat it. You cannot say we want to stay in Britain, but if Britain decides to do something that we don't like, and by the way, a million Scots voted for Brexit, uh, that we want to reopen our promise uh, that this would be a once-in-a-generation thing. What you don't understand in South Carolina, how could you, is the paralyzing uh, effect of this never ending on Scottish life, becoming more and more bitterly divided. If you don't believe me, I'll show you my scars, some of them sustained even this weekend, even this evening. Uh, the uncertainty, uh, the bitterness curdling into hatred, vigilantes at the border, screaming at English people, get back to England. This is a disfigurement of Scotland, and it has to stop. We cannot allow this to go on year after year after year until the separatists get their way. That's where I stand uh, on that. Uh, you are welcome to disagree. Unfortunately, I think Mike has uh, gone. Uh, I want your telephone calls. The number is 02077982255 and the US number 001757744480. And Wesley says on YouTube, why do I trust the government of China 10 times more than I trust the government of the US? Because the Chinese don't lie to me every time they open their mouth. And Tim says, 
People who believe 5G fries you are dumb. They have no idea how a microwave works. And Malik says, 5G scares the cows. Our milk will be sour. And on Facebook, David says, I was torn, FA Cup semi-final or gorgeous George. This is more compelling. Well, I'm very glad I'm not watching the FA Cup semi-final, I can assure you. Paul says, hi George, you're the rock and roll presenter on Sundays on Sputnik. Thank you, Paul. And Rose says, I was always taught that it was rude to keep your hat on inside. Oh, do get a life, Rose. If you knew why I'm wearing a hat, you'd be embarrassed that you made that point. Why did Britain cancel the Huawei 5G deal? A, security concerns, 33% down one. And B, political machinations, 67% up one. You can vote now on my Twitter feed. About a thousand of you have. Here's a call from Silicon Valley, no less. Masood on Huawei. Masood, go ahead. Hi, George. I've been a fan too. But I wanted to say something that's a lot more sinister and that's being missed completely. Mm. Uh, Huawei is actually an employee-owned company. Uh, 90, more than 95% of the company is owned by 67% of the employees. And this is what makes it really a hungry company. And, uh, you know, so this is really the core of the company, yeah. which often gets missed. It really uh, challenges the kind of the American corporate model. That's the point I wanted to make. That's right. Uh, is it 67%? I thought it was 75 but uh, you, you may be right. You're, you're in Silicon yeah, Valley. Something of the order of 70% of the employees own about not more than 95% of the company. Yeah. The in that sense, it's a kind of a workers' cooperative. Uh, that would be a yes, good reason yes. for uh, Silicon Valley to hate it in itself. Right, exactly. And that often gets missed. And this is just a point I wanted to make. Uh, and a very good, very well made uh, indeed. Thanks for calling from California, Masood. Uh, now, um, the, yeah, I've got to read this. We are now broadcasting on 13 platforms around the world, including Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And our newest platform is Twitch. I have no idea what Twitch is, but if you are a Twitch user, Search for Moats TV and you'll find this live stream. Now, uh, in the second hour uh, of the show, unusually because it's normally in the third, we've got Dr. Ranjit Bra talking about the state of the virus and what we are doing about it here and, of course, abroad. But I may slip in a question or two to him about China also, uh, Liam says, does anyone want to talk about what 5G actually is? What are the benefits? Do we need to go any faster than we already are? Well, I'm myself, a guy that loves progress, loves science, loves engineering, loves technology. Uh, so my answer to that would be yes. Uh, but I do uh, appreciate uh, that just like the HS2, uh, there are people who doubt whether there's any real point in making our trains go faster, our internet faster. Uh, personally, the internet can never be too fast uh, for me, but I'm ready to take calls uh, on that, of course. Paul says, George, you're not going to Wembley, haha. -ha. Although United have just got a penalty, I understand. It does seem as if you are right, Paul. And on Facebook, Jumana says, 
so wouldn't the birds want to nest in him. Savage. That was my reference to, um, to Sir Keir Starmer, though I did invent it first for a man called John Sweeney, uh, who was at the time the parliamentary leader of the Scottish Nationalists at Westminster. And as I listened to him drone, I saw a man come out and put a coat of paint on him, thinking he was your block of wood. And Nebo says, all 5G towers need to be destroyed. Well, we've given your uh, phone number and details to the appropriate authorities, Nebo. Uh, John says, George, stop talking over and cutting callers short. Eh? Who have I cut short? Let me run the show, John. Yeah? I've got a lot of things to get through in the course of uh, three hours. And Steve says, if Scotland declares independence, China will have a free trade agreement with Scotland. Uh, but of course it won't, Steve, uh, because uh, the SNP are going to take Scotland into the European Union. So you will not be entitled to have free trade agreements with anybody, including England and Wales. Get your head round that. Uh, you'll have to have an agreement if you're going to leave uh, the United Kingdom. And you're going to have to agree to economic conditions, financial conditions, uh, that will make it impossible for you uh, to join the European Union. Or, of course, you could lose 60% of your export market, which is Britain and the rest of the United Kingdom. You could put up your hard border, never sell another good, never sell another service in England, and try and make up the difference in Slovenia or Slovakia, but you will be doing it under the terms dictated by the European Union. This is why this word independence is a complete misnomer. You cannot possibly be independent in the European Union. In fact, you'll be less independent than you are now inside the United Kingdom. And it's these economic and trade issues, not football chants from the slopes of Hampden Park, not wearing scarves and swaying to Caledonia, we love you, not the nonsense of the mad vigilantes on the border, the flag waving and cheers, because none of that puts a potato on the plate on the table. It's pound, shillings and pence. It's exports and imports. It's debt and how to repay it. It's currency and what it will be and who will stand behind it, who will be the lender of last resort for it. That's the real politic of the independence debate. And Steve, just like Paul a couple of weeks ago, in making that comment that China will have a free trade agreement with an independent Scotland, betrays the absolute economic illiteracy, economic and political 
illiteracy of the supporters of Scottish nationalism. Of course, uh, there are some who think that vulgar abuse and, and hatred and obscenity and swearing and calling people traitors and all of that, uh, that that makes up for these things. But it doesn't. It takes money to buy mints. The Scottish people are historically quite careful about money, if you know what I mean. Too careful to follow you, Steve, down your madcap road. Let's get the news with Jamie Lowe. Curious about our curriculum? Have something to say? Then call us now to join the debate on the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Tune in every Tuesday to Loud and Clear for a regular segment called False Profits, a weekly look at Wall Street and corporate capitalism, where we talk about the big economic issues of the week from the point of view of working people, the poor, and the U.S. position in the global economy. Join us this Tuesday and every Tuesday with financial policy analyst Daniel Sankey right here on Radio Sputnik. It's time to double down with Max and Stacy. Yeah, double down. We're talking markets, finance, business, economics, ka-ching, bling, just about everything money-related on Sputnik. It's called Double Down. We're asking, are dead cats bouncing or have fundamentals changed? That's this week on Double Down. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. Radio Sputnik News. More than 600,000 people have now died from coronavirus around the world, nearly a quarter of them in the United States. For the second day in a row, the largest single-day increase in cases has been recorded, the World Health Organization has revealed. The record increase came on Saturday, as the total rose by 259,848 in just 24 hours. Deaths rose by 7,360, the biggest one-day increase since the 10th of May. Total global coronavirus cases have also surpassed 14 million, another milestone in the spread of the disease, which has killed over 600,000 people in the past seven months. On Friday, India became the third country in the world to record more than one million cases of the virus, behind only the US and Brazil. In Britain, the lifting of lockdown restrictions has not led to a spike in coronavirus cases, the UK's national statistician has said, but he issued a warning for the autumn. As Prime Minister Boris Johnson insisted, he does not want a second national shutdown. In Zimbabwe, more than 105,000 people have been arrested since March for violating regulations aimed at curbing the spread of coronavirus. Around 1,000 were arrested in the last two days for unnecessary movement or for not wearing face masks, police say. Critics have accused the government of using the measures to target the opposition and arrest activists, which it denies. Under current regulations, all Zimbabweans returning from abroad are required to remain in quarantine for three weeks at a government-approved facility. According to police, a total of 276 people had fled quarantine centres, including some who tested positive for coronavirus. 
A man has been arrested in connection with a fire at Nantes Cathedral that destroyed the grand organ and blew out stained glass windows. A 39-year-old is a Rwandan refugee who worked at the 15th century Gothic structure as a volunteer and was in charge of locking up on Friday night. According to reports, arson has been suspected, but investigators are also looking at a possible short circuit being responsible. Twitter has taken down a video retweeted by Donald Trump that contained music from the US rock band Linkin Park, citing a copyright complaint. The content was replaced with a notice saying this media has been disabled in response to a report by the copyright owner. It's understood that the band's management company made the complaint. It's the latest incident in an increasingly fractious relationship between the social media platform and the US president, who's accused Twitter of stifling free speech. Linkin Park later tweeted that they did not endorse the US president. Two new photographs have been released to mark the marriage of Prince Andrew's daughter Beatrice. Significantly, her father is missing from the photo. Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, stepped back from royal duties last year and has faced ongoing questions about his links with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. He was also a close friend of Ghislaine Maxwell, who's in custody in New York, accused of procuring young girls for Epstein. More than 100 wild animals, including at least eight rare rhinos, have died in recent flooding at a national park in northeast India. The Kaziranga Park in Assam State is home to the world's largest population of one-horned rhinos which faced extinction at the turn of the century. But this year's monsoon rains have almost 85% of the park underwater. The floods have also killed at least 190 people and displaced millions in Assam as well as Nepal. Kaziranga Park, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, is home to at least 2,400 one-horned rhinos. A 50-mile wide swarm of flying ants has been making its way over the UK and it's so big that it's been spotted from space. The enormous cloud of insects was picked up by the Met Office's weather radar over Kent and Sussex on England's southeast coast today. A video was released by the Met Office alongside a tweet saying, It's not raining in London, Kent or Sussex, but our radar says otherwise. The radar is actually picking up a swarm of flying ants across the southeast. And finally, it's taken a little while, well over 6,800 years, give or take a day or two, but the first comet to be visible with the naked eye in decades has appeared in the northern sky. The comet is called Neowise. Its orbit takes it almost 6,800 years to complete, meaning that the last generation of people to see it would have lived during the 5th millennium BC. This was a time well before the written word and when the global human population was around 40 million people. Even though Neowise is distant from Earth, with its closest approach being on July the 22nd, being almost as far away as Mars, it's still visible in the night sky to the naked eye, hovering near the northern horizon. It may get brighter over the next week, but what level it reaches will depend primarily on how much material erupts from its surface, rather than its distance from the Earth. This material consists of highly reflective ice particles from the nucleus of the comet erupting outwards, shining when they catch the sunlight. And that's the latest here on Sputnik News. I'm Jamie Lowe. You're listening to Radio Sputnik. Telling the untold. Welcome to the Open University of the Airwaves with George Galloway, only on Sputnik Radio. Flying ants, comets, meteorites. Do you think the Almighty is trying to tell us something? Why did Britain cancel the Huawei 
5G DLA security concerns, 34% up one. B, political machinations, 66% down one. You can vote uh, on my Twitter feed until nine o'clock uh, at George Galloway. Now, Dr. Ranjit Brar is an NHS consultant, a physician, and a surgeon. And he's been our go-to uh, throughout the coronavirus crisis, uh, which, uh, despite what some people would like you to believe, is far from over. And I'm glad to say, if there's one upside uh, to the coronavirus, it's that we've all got to know Dr. Ranjit Brar. Dr. Ranjit, thank you very much for joining us. Um, what can you tell us about the impact of the breakdown uh, of lockdown? Because it has effectively now broken down. Pubs are open, restaurants are open. A friend of mine was on the London Underground uh, coming to work this evening and uh, reports that virtually no one uh, was even wearing a mask. Uh, the, uh, it's as if it never happened. Uh, is there any discernible impact of that on the figures? George, pleasure to be back with you again. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think the situation on a world scale is is, is truly scary uh, at the moment, George. It's a, as you say, the virus has not gone away and it's got a long way to run. So in the world, we, we're seeing 14 and a half million cases and 610,000 deaths. And perhaps we'll talk about the United States a bit, a bit later on because there it's really running out of control. Um, here, it's quite clear that lockdown, as you say, has effectively ended. People are going to restaurants. I mean, some people are wearing masks, some aren't. The rules are opaque. People are themselves confused. If you, even if you're in a hospital, the, the rules uh, about processing of patients and wards and PPE change on a, on a daily basis. Um, so no one knows quite where they are. Um, certainly true that if, essentially there's a gr far greater degree of social intercourse and the, and the British government themselves uh, are concerned, giving their mixed messages, wanting to get the economy sorted out. But of course, there's a, there's a global capitalist economic crisis, which they're powerless to, to affect, really. Um, but at the same time, concerned because they realize now overwhelmingly that there is going to be a, an increase here as well. Uh, I think uh, Chris Whitty was quite clear when he said in September there will be a large increase in cases. He said it very openly, this is unavoidable, and we can expect a large increase in numbers September, October, November. And that's in line with the predictions we've been making based on the evidence that we've been seeing. But it's the most explicit recognition from the government that this is going to happen. They don't expect to have a vaccine ready in time. They're expecting to see a great increase in numbers. Um, people can't be expected to um, you know, make up their own individual rules. If they're pressured to go back to work, they will go back to work. Um, economically, they, they need to do all they can to try and secure their living. But of course, it puts the population at risk. And as we've said, the vast majority of the population haven't been exposed to the virus and remain vulnerable, George. Now, uh, on that uh, point, let's deal with that point first. Uh, if Chris Whitty is right, is the National Health Service capable of dealing with that large increase that he didn't just predict, he stated as a certainty? Um, that's a, it's a very good question. So, essentially, um, there's been the mantra uh, from our government that they're principal aim in the way that they've dealt with the crisis has been to stop 
the NHS from being overwhelmed. It's my contention that the NHS absolutely was overwhelmed. And it was overwhelmed, and that's reflected in the fact that all other elective services and a skeleton were closed down, and really only a skeleton emergency service was provided. That's in line with the expectations that if we were to meet a pandemic as modelled and tested on a national scale during an operation in 2015 called Operation Cygnus that we've discussed before, overseen by um, our our previous uh, health secretary. Um, uh, was um, essentially showed that the NHS would fall over and did fall over. Um, so I don't think that we do have the capacity uh, to deal with a large increase, as we didn't really have the capacity to deal with it in the first place, other than by shutting down our already, you know, uh, vastly overstretched NHS. We've seen that there are now 10 million people waiting for appointments and procedures in the NHS. is an unprecedented number. Uh, and that really is an indication that the NHS has failed to cope. It's failed to cope because of a deliberate process of running down capacity with a view to forcing people into private insurance and the, uh, advancing the agenda of privatisation of the National Health Service, George. Well, uh, I'm, I'm one of those in, uh, in that sense. Uh, my wife uh, is going to give birth any day, any hour, any day. Uh, and we are doing it at home, a home birth, something I thought passed into history uh, when I was myself a small child. Um, I myself would never have considered that. Uh, but if it was the choice uh, of uh, having a home birth or going into a potentially deadly hospital overwhelmed by coronavirus, it was a no-brainer uh, in the end. And there are many people. Uh, we know have died, cancer patients, for example, uh, who have not been going into hospital because the hospitals have been overwhelmed. I'm just wondering if, if September is as bad as Witte thinks it is, we'll be, we'll be back to where we were, uh, back at the very highest point of this crisis. I think that's right. I mean, um, home births, of course, have become very fashionable. And for those who are very well and, and have the, are lucky to have a, a midwife in attendance, then it can be a good environment in which to have a baby. It's not my first choice, I think, because um, precisely because childbirth is so high risk. Um, but at the present time, the balance of risk is changed, I think, with coronavirus. And everyone is doing everything they can to avoid attending hospital unless absolutely necessary. And that's understandable to a degree, but it's also an indictment of the way that we have organized the health service during this. We learned that um, uh, the government are basically in talks to continue to buy up all of the unused capacity in private health service. So they must be paying billions for that. And we've seen that this week, revelations about billions of other contracts uh, to firms who are unable to supply goods and services, but billions nevertheless having been passed to them, all in secret, all without scrutiny, all under this current legislation pushed, pushed through on the back of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and we're seeing that increasingly. So it's reasonable for people to try and avoid hospital. Um, but the fact that rather than use other centres that we really needed from the very beginning to have centres separate from the main NHS that were dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. And that would have been the sensible way to approach things rather than 
funnel the coronavirus into hospitals where there are vulnerable people, funnel people from hospitals into the private care system where there are even more vulnerable people, not protecting the general population, not putting test testing, uh, uh, tracking and tracing, um, and social isolation facilities uh, at the forefront has been our failing from the beginning. And all of that has been conditioned upon the way in which our NHS has been organised and the pressure it's under constantly to rationalise, downsize, make cuts year on year with a view to soften it up for privatisation. That's been our tremendous failing and I fear that that will put us in a very serious situation uh, as we approach the winter, George. Now, uh, you mentioned the United States. Uh, I said last week that if Florida was an independent country, it would be one of the most afflicted countries on the earth. Uh, tens of thousands of cases a day, uh, and uh, that has not uh, improved in the last seven days. Rather, other states uh, like Texas, like Arizona, uh, like California, uh, have gotten very much worse. Why is it so out of control in the United States? I think that's right, George. Um, Florida um, has had 12,000 cases in a single day, and Florida has had 350,000 cases. So Florida has had as many cases of coronavirus as the UK, test-proven cases. And the United States on Thursday had its worst ever day, um, where it, it, it posted 77,000 cases in a single day. So essentially had the number of cases in a single day that China has had throughout the whole pandemic. And we've talked about, again, the reasons that underlie the US response. But now it's become at a, at a certain level within the community, without there being an ability to stop it spreading in the major centers of population, where it is in an exponential growth phase, where the R number is very high, it's predicted to be around the three mark. And that really means that you know, one person is passing on to three, is passing on to nine, 27, and so on. So it's really a, a huge rate of increase. And it's very difficult at that stage to stop the disease from spreading. Um, we know from the beginning why they haven't been able to get on top of it, and that's been conditioned by both the political system, uh, the Trump administration, the poor political briefings, the overwhelmingly the private medicine and the lack of access to medicine. And we've said it again and again, but it's, it's worth repeating that the richest three people in the United States have the same amount of money, wealth, power as the poorest 200 million. And that's an incredible statistic. So it means that there's a vast underclass in the United States who really don't have access to the kind of first world facilities that you would expect to be present. And that's precisely, again, because of their insurance-based system. And that's the system, of course, we're driving towards in this country. Very recently, last week, they announced the closure of Epsom and St. Helier Hospital, for example. So there's a constant pressure to downgrade our NHS structure, huge numbers of contracts being given out to the private service, and everything is being pushed in the direction of us following in the footsteps of the United States. And particularly at this time, you couldn't really uh, think of a worse uh, way for us to go in our healthcare provision. And of course, amidst all of that, the level of aggression, the rhetoric against China is really stepping up almost onto a war footing. And uh, we know that Huawei, you've just been talking about, the contract has been cancelled, but really there's a, there's a trade war, a global economic war, a war for the minds of people that is going on and underlying this crisis. So while the United States is unable to look after its people, it's constantly pointing the finger of accusation, in particular at China as being its largest global competitor, the new workshop of the world. 
and it's desperate to sanction other governments, including the UK government, to stop us from doing trade deals. And it was disappointing, perhaps not unexpected, to see Lisa Nandy, even the Labour Party uh, um, uh, shadow foreign secretary, uh, actually embarking on that war rhetoric and trying to out uh, out Trump Trump, to, out, try to out, outdo uh, Boris Johnson and accuse the government of not being hard enough, that the solution to all of this you know, somehow is to be extremely draconian in our relations with China. And once we step onto that diplomatic footing, you know, it's preparing the ground for, you know, trade war and trade war is the prelude to war. And we definitely want to avoid that course with a nation like China, it's not in the interest of the British working people, and it's certainly not going to help us cope, cope with the corona pandemic, George. Well, when you said even, Lisa Nandy, I immediately uh, thought that never was the word even more otios than in the case that you cited. I'll be talking about China on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock online on all uh, internet platforms. Uh, and I'll be expanding on some of the points uh, that you have just made there. Dr. Ranjit Bra, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Why did Britain cancel that deal with Huawei? Security concerns, 33% political machinations, 67% up one. You can vote now on my Twitter feed at George Galloway. Let's take a 60-second break. Sputnik. Tune in every Wednesday to Loud and Clear with Brian Becker and John Kiriakou for a regular segment called Beyond Nuclear, where Brian and John discuss nuclear issues, including weapons, energy, waste, and the future of nuclear technology in the United States with Kevin Camps, the radioactive waste watchdog at the organization Beyond Nuclear. Listen on Wednesdays right here on Radio Sputnik. Want to talk? Get in touch with us at radio at sputniknews.com. We are talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are listening. We give you the most essential out of the endless information space. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. Hello, America. It is me, Joe Biden. I think I'm not reading a teleprompter. I'm perfectly capable of speaking for myself. Myself. Radio Sputnik. George Galloway and the mother of all talk shows. Join us at the College of Knowledge, where there are no tuition fees. Blimey, was that really Joe Biden? He's not as bad as I uh, thought he was. You've got the poll. Why did Britain cancel Huawei? Security concerns or political machinations? Vote on my uh, Twitter feed. Now get your calls in early this week because we're short-handed through the glass there. Uh, so uh, 
best to call now if you are intending on being on the show. 02077 982255 or 001757444480. Now this is a spot where I look back at events that made us who we are, for good or ill, in the seven days, this seven days in our checkered history. It's called That Was The Week. It was on the 19th of July in 1843 that the steamship SS Great Britain was launched, designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. It was the first ocean-going craft with an iron hull or screw propeller and the largest vessel afloat in the world. Why don't we make another SS Great Britain? Why don't we? Instead of a royal yacht, which may or may not be made, why don't we make another state-of-the-art ship, build it in Britain, sail around the world with our manufacturers, such as they are, promoting the country? That's what I'd like to see. On the same day, that's 19th of July, in 1941, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill launched his famous V for Victory campaign, and it worked. And in 1997, the IRA made a surprise announcement of a ceasefire in Northern Ireland, the second in three years. This was to lead to the Northern Ireland peace agreement and power sharing between the two communities at the Stormont Parliament. And on the 20th of this month, in 1881, the legendary Sioux chief, Sitting Bull, surrendered to federal troops, although nowadays we call them First Nation. In 1954, an armistice was signed, ending the French-Indochina War. That's actually a bit of a misnomer because it was the French War uh, on Vietnam. And Vietnam then separated into North and South. And of course, that only set the stage for yet another war. On July 20th, 1944, Adolf Hitler escaped death after a bomb exploded at his headquarters in Rastenburg, East Prussia. A senior officer, Colonel Klaus Schenk von Stauffenberg, was blamed for planting the bomb at a meeting at which Hitler and other senior members of the general staff were present. Von Stauffenberg was arrested the same day and shot. The rest of the conspirators were tried and hanged or offered the chance to commit suicide. Eight of those executed were hanged with piano wire from meat hooks and their executions filmed and shown to senior members of the Nazi party and the armed forces. In 1969, the Apollo 11 lunar module carrying Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the surface of the moon. And hours later, Armstrong became the first man to walk on the surface of the moon. I know what some of you are thinking. In 1974, thousands of Turkish troops invaded northern Cyprus after last minute talks in the Greek capital Athens failed to reach a solution. The partition of Cyprus, the separation of the two parts of Cyprus remain to this day. Uh, I was actually on the demonstration in London, therefore, on this day in 1974, imagine, protesting against the Turkish invasion and partition 
of the beautiful island of Cyprus. It's one of the reasons that I hate partition. And in 2003, in one close to my heart, because I'm making a film about it, the BBC confirmed that weapons expert Dr. David Kelly, found dead two days previously, was the source of reports that the government had sexed up an Iraq war dossier. And on July 21st in 1994, Labour chose Tony Blair as its new leader. He would, of course, go on to become Prime Minister and lead Britain into the disastrous Iraq war. I was at the special conference of the Labour Party that day in 1994, although I had not voted for Blair. Indeed, I didn't vote for any of the candidates. Uh, but I was there when Blair uh, took on the leadership and, of course, immediately announced the abolition or the proposal to abolish Clause 4. In 1942, on the 22nd of July, 300,000 Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto were sent to the Treblinka extermination camp. And in 2003, Uday and Kusai Hussein, the sons of former Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein, were killed in a gun battle in northern Iraq. And on the 23rd of July in 1986, Prince Andrew, remember him, married Sarah Ferguson, remember her, at Westminster Abbey. He is presently wanted for questioning by the FBI over the Jeffrey Epstein child rape scandal. On July 24, 1943, the Royal Air Force began what was Operation Gomorrah, the relentless firebombing of the German city of Dresden. In the firestorm, 42,600 civilians died. And in 1952, the American Western film High Noon, starring Gary Cooper, was released. It used to be played every Christmas when I was young. It's a great movie, actually, with a great Frankie Lane tune. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court in 1974 ordered U.S. President Richard Nixon to surrender tape recordings of the White House conversations about the Watergate affair. When the tapes were finally released, more than 18 minutes of a crucial meeting were found to be missing. What a surprise. Three days later, the House Judiciary Committee voted to recommend that the president be impeached and removed from office. But before the House debate on his impeachment could begin, President Nixon resigned. His successor, Gerald Ford, formally pardoned him two months later. And the 25th of July in 1814, the English engineer, George Stevenson, introduced his first steam locomotive, a traveling engine designed for hauling coal. And in 1965, in an unbelievable act of cultural heresy, Bob Dylan was booed by sections of the crowd at the Newport Folk Festival for performing with an electric guitar. It was the beginning of folk rock and marked the beginning of Dylan's ascent to supernova status. You've got to hear his latest album, by the way. <laughs> it's just totally brilliant. Senator Edward Kennedy in 1969 pleaded guilty to leaving the scene of a crime and was sentenced to a two-month suspended jail sentence. The verdict followed a tragic car accident on the island of Chappaquiddick, east of Martha's Vineyard, 
a week before, in which 29-year-old Mary Jo Kopechny was drowned. Kennedy did not report it to the police until more than eight hours later. Well, that was the week that was. It was a very eventful one. And now back to the present and even the future. Sean is in Stevenage on the NHS. Go ahead, Sean. Hi, George. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Apart from the result today. Uh, well, I wouldn't know about that. I've been out and about doing things. <laughs> um, I just want to pick up on what Dr. Bra was saying about these contracts being let to private firms. Yeah. As I understand it, there's some five and a half billion pounds worth of contracts let for procurement of stuff for the NHS, PPE, whatever. One in particular, um, there's an example on Craig Murray's website. He's done an excellent report and a breakdown on this particular firm. And I'm sure it's an example of how we're being robbed blind. This particular firm is an investment firm. It's a family office fronting their investment management. They have won a contract for £250 million. No competition tendering. Sole, sole, sole tender to that firm. They're an investment firm. They have no experience in PPE for the NHS. Why have they been given this contract? I'm sure... And I'm sure that there's an example in this other five and a half billion, let alone, as I understand again, the ten billion pounds which has been wasted on that track and trace app. This government and the people around the government have wasted no opportunity in yet again getting their hands in the till and robbing us blind. While this coronavirus epidemic is going on, while half the country's possibly going to lose its job lose its livelihood, they've got their snouts in the trough and they're doling out contracts to people who've no business being in that line of work. I should know. I've worked in engineering, uh, jobs in construction and procurement, major EPC contracts uh, in highly regulated industries. And I know that any medical devices or medical equipment is going to have certain standard specifications. You don't give them to a firm that's got no history whatsoever. Well, I don't know. We, uh, we, gave a, we gave a contract to a ferry company that had no ferries. And it's exactly the point. You've hit the nail on the head. It's that again and on a massive scale. Much, much, that, much that bigger. That was 50 million quid. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's, the call, uh, that's the call of the night, uh, Sean. Uh, I, I've said before, uh, I don't want a public inquiry into the... Uh, British and Scottish governments handling of the coronavirus crisis. I want a trial at the High Court, at the Old Bailey. I want these people who are responsible for all of this to face justice. Thanks for the call. Tess is in Wales on China. Go ahead, Tess. Uh, hi, John. Hi. I've tracked out by Sean. That, that, that call spun me out. I forgot what I'm going to say. But, yeah, um... There's a lot of this propaganda, right, about China. There's loads of it kicking off all of a sudden. We had Andrew Ma earlier on talking to uh, the Chinese embassy guy. I, I can't remember his name. And all those videos that are coming out all the time, right? I'm, I'm really worried that we're, we're in right into a war here and the people are going to be happy to do it because already everybody is up in arms about all this propaganda, which is what it is, isn't mm. it? So, well, how could we have a war with China? Uh, China could sink our entire 
air, our entire fleet of aircraft carriers with one missile uh, when, it reaches, when it reaches the, the uh, South China Sea? Well, it won't be just us, will it? It will be, ganging, we'll be on like, mm. America's side, won't we? Mm. We'll be their little chums. So we'll go in dibs Well, now, you're, like right we to be, you're right to be worried about it, because, not least because, uh, when you collect a lot of military assets in uh, one area, uh, you're counting on uh, the people whose area it is uh, not retaliating against your presence. You're also counting on no accidents happening. You're counting on no commander going rogue. Uh, mm -hmm, yeah. And of course, we now know that many times during the last Cold War, World War III could well have erupted, but for uh, a bit of sagacity on the part sometimes of uh, military officers, or a bit of sagacity on the part of political leaders in turning down the demands of military officers, we could well uh, not have been here today, Tess. The world could then have been destroyed. Uh, but how, how, you know, we've got to be lucky every time. And are we going to be? That's a big question. I just hope that there are still some people around that will, that will stop, stop well, it if it comes to I'll be to talking it, like, uh, about this. On Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, Tess, uh, don't forget to Bobby. tune in. Uh, Eves, thanks for the call. Eves is in Idaho on Donald Trump. Eve, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. I, I wanted to discuss about your show, you know, about Huawei. And, um, you know, it was a very, um, there is like usual a lot of humor in that show and all that. But I think uh, the situation is very serious and you, you, you occulted it a little bit. And I want to give you, um, since I have very little time, I want to give you five things and then we can go from there. Number one, you have Pompeo one month ago going to Israel. And for once, Pompeo say, I want China out of, the, out of Israel. I don't want the Silk Road. And uh, Netanyahu say, yes, sir. Two, you had some talk between Trump and Erdogan, and Trump told Erdogan, you can have your Ottoman Empire, I back you on, on uh, Libya, uh, so bad, too bad for the French, because the Ottoman Empire is directly against Russia and China. Three, he goes to England and he says, forget about Huawei, we want your ship in the China Sea, and they say, yes, sir. The fourth thing is going to go, they're going to go to Denmark and Germany and say, we don't want any of those uh, North Stream. And I don't think the Germans are going to bow, but I don't know. And five, very importantly, and I think it was missing in your show today, is the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, which is, in my opinion, straight from the State Department. It directly uh, put a new front between Turkey and Russia through Azerbaijan. And this is five. And what do they try to achieve? They have two goals in America. It's not a question of uh, Huawei or anything. Number one, preserve the dollar as reserve currency because the, uh, the dollar is debased. 
And with, the, with this dollar, what do they do? They buy company for the intellectual property right. You see, that's how it goes. You have to, when, you, when you think about intellectual property, you have to think Alstom in France. That was a very good example. You have GE who bought a company. They fire everybody. They keep the patent. And now when we want to, to build turbines for our submarine in France, we have to pay royalty to America. I just wanted to say that. Well, uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, situation is a very serious one. Perhaps we should put it in its own right on our agenda. Uh, it's true that this very week, uh, the Turkish NATO member was fighting with the French NATO member over Libya, uh, where neither of them has any right to be, uh, but both are there along with everyone else. Now, it seems, as a result of the disaster that has been visited on Libya, I saw uh, uh, President Obama uh, say the other day, as he said before, but with more detail, uh, that the intervention in Libya was the biggest disaster of his presidency, or as he put it, the biggest mistake uh, of his uh, presidency. So Libya... Uh, the conflict between Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia are, are both a potential fronts. Uh, but the South China Sea is the most serious one because there you have uh, U.S. strategic bombers, uh, a whole fleet of American warships, soon to be joined by the British aircraft carrier Queen Elizabeth, in an atmosphere not just of trade war, uh, and down, oh, absolute outright sanction, like the Huawei case. Uh, it's not uh, that you can buy Huawei, but you'll have to pay a tariff uh, on top. It's a straight ban. Uh, this is an act of economic war. Uh, and then, of course, the Hong Kong uh, issue on top of that. Uh, this is all boiling up to uh, a very serious situation, Eve. Last word to you. Yes. Well, uh, I completely agree. Uh, um, to add something about uh, Turkey, you see, uh, the, way, the way I think they distribute the role is that America is going to take care of China, mainly the U.S., but Turkey has the role of attacking Russia on three fronts, Libya, Syria, and now the South Caucasus. Very interesting. So, Very interesting. Listen, yeah. uh, Eve, uh, that was a terrific call. Thank you very much indeed uh, for making it. I need a two-minute break. Bear with us. You're listening to Radio Sputnik. By any means necessary is your guide to the movement and efforts shaping the world around us from mass incarceration. No longer am I interested in or concerned with prison reform. I am interested only in the eradication of prisons. To the battle between police and water protectors. It was a pretty punishing disregard for the sanctity of human life that unleashing water cannons on peaceful, prayerful water protectors. From efforts to protect the environment. The climate movement is ready to, with plenty of opposition research and force and strength, along with, you know, the right of both science and morality to fight them on this. To the movement for black lives. When I first saw the Michael Brown video, when I saw that it 
clearly contradicted the narrative put forth uh, by the Ferguson Police Department and by police supporters in general, three words came to mind. Color me shocked. Stay tuned to By Any Means Necessary, five days a week here on Radio Sputnik. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. George Galloway and the mother of all talk shows. Join us at the College of Knowledge, where there are no tuition fees. We are talking... 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are listening. We give you the most essential out of the endless information space. Radio Sputnik. Telling the untold. The mother of all talk shows. The only education you can get for free. Only on Sputnik Radio. Now, uh, Yinka says the UK wants to be independent from the EU, but ask anyone on the street and they are incapable of articulating what that means. Not on my street, they're not, mate. And user says the UK is a corporation, not a country. The government is treating it like a corporate. The citizens are collateral damage to its key agenda, making a profit and taking off. And another user says herd immunity was the Tory strategy all along. Uh, now, Imad is on the line from Houston. I'm presuming it's not Houston in Ayrshire, uh, but Houston in Texas. Let's see if I'm right. Imad, go ahead. Hey, George, how are you? Good. You're in Texas, I'm guessing. Yes, sir. Go ahead, bro. The thing is in Texas. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. The thing is in Texas, while the spread is kind of heavy, our governor, when we shut down in May, we had basically only one week and a half and he decides to say we will be fine without masks. He took away our, um, we had we had rules to wear masks and you will be fine if you didn't. Now we have taken that away to all the counties in Texas. Now the spread has gotten worse after the 4th of July and Memorial Day. It actually quadrupled, but the thing is our cases are coming from three weeks behind from now. We have never tested that well at all. Which parts of Texas are worst affected, Imad? Uh, Houston. Are you there? Yes, sir. It's, actually, it's Houston. Houston is the worst affected? Yes, we have the worst of masks, and we are not containing it very well. And is that having a political impact? on voting intentions for November, for example? No, actually, they want to go do more testing and put people back into school. We are actually forcing people to go back to school soon. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, are people turning against President Trump over this? Not a lot of people are. Not a lot. I'll tell you what, let's go to Ali in Manchester. Manchester, England, Hi, George, I can think. Can you hear me? I can, Ali, go ahead. Um, first of all, hello. Uh, Long-time follower, first-time caller. Nice to hear <clears> from you. Um, apologies for being uh, slightly off-topic. Um, but I just wanted to speak about a program I was watching on the BBC this week. Um, 
called The Art of Persia. Um, now, it was about the Iranian cultural history. And um, the, the female presenter framed, uh, framed uh, the Iranian history as being one of um, conquest from Arab imperialism and sort of um, framed Islam as a, a traveling imperialism. And I really had a problem with that. I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't really mind how, which opinion uh, people take of uh, Islamic history, um, but this woman, she sells herself as an art historian. And in the very next frame, <coughs> so in one sentence she'd say, the Arabs conquered uh, the Persians brutally. And then in the very next frame she'd show um, a beautiful mosque doing an Iranian style, and then she'd admit that the Iranian language has never changed. So I have a problem with it in that I, I think she was implying that there's a massive difference between the Arabs and the Iranians, and they're always at loggerheads and bound to end in conflict and sort of rousing the Iranian identity as being pre-Islamic. And well, I just think it's a game right. that the BBC you, have always been playing. You're, you're, always been playing. You're, you're certainly right that you're off topic, uh, Ali, uh, but you've, uh, you've expressed your uh, point of view. Uh, it's not really my intention to, uh, to take issue uh, with, uh, with any of it, except to say this, uh, that in my rather extensive um, experience in the region and with the peoples of the region, uh, there's a deeply unhealthy uh, amount of uh, bad feeling and uh, indeed uh, malignant intent uh, on, uh, on both sides, uh, on both sides religiously and on both sides nationally and ethnically. And that's one of the reasons for the uh, tremendous divisions in the region, which of course make everybody far weaker uh, than they would otherwise be. Let's hear from Nestor in Maryland on unemployment in the U.S. Nestor, welcome. Hey, George. Uh, I hope everything's good. Um, yeah, I wanted to, uh, at the end of July, uh, the, the $600 extra that they were putting on the unemployment benefits are about to end. And so far, Congress has nothing in mind. They don't know whether they're going to extend it. They've been proposing maybe a lesser, like uh, $400 and maybe one more stimulus check, uh, but that that's all maybe. That's there has no been. There's no bill out. There's nothing uh, concrete uh, being voted on. And on top of that, they, <laughs> the, the you know I, I don't understand how how uh, how this government, the U.S. government, uh, pretends to want to uh, uh, go around the world, especially in the South China Sea, uh, spend money assembling the fleet. And, and pretend like they're going to do something against China when at home they can't even do anything for the, for, for the people here. And, and my question is, if, like, uh, what, I, what do you think that people here, if, if a war starts there, what will people here do if people are completely broke? Uh, and, 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 and I don't know if out of desperation people will join the army or, or, or they will just turn on the government uh, and, and, and something, something might happen. I'm well, not sure uh, what, it but. is uh, uh, indeed uh, bamboozling uh, that uh, a country with uh, the biggest unemployment queues uh, since the Great Depression of the 1930s, with the world's worst coronavirus, 
the highest number of cases escalating rapidly, the highest number of deaths escalating rapidly, a completely dysfunctional political system uh, where the presidency and the legislature are in armed conflict, uh, where murder and mayhem and social disorder is so widespread that it's not even being reported on anymore. It's an everyday occurrence, as those with social media can see, that such a country, such a leadership, presiding over all of that is actually saying, look over there to the South China Sea. Thanks, Nestor, for bringing that up. Romwell is in Chicago. Go ahead, Romwell. Hello, George. Good to hear from you. Go ahead. All right. So I was wondering your opinion on Colin Hawkins attempting one um, nomination, which is what is bringing um, the uh, Green Party primary, which I can show you where so I think it's like, like somewhere like Hawkins um, with a socialist party nominee or something. Well, uh, look, uh, I'm not really following you. It's not a good line, uh, but uh, I infer that you're talking uh, about the selection of uh, Howie Hawkins for Green Party candidate uh, for the presidential election. Uh, I think it's a very grave mistake uh, by the Green Party uh, to have chosen such an unprepossessing individual and to have thereby turned their face against Governor Jesse Ventura, who would have quickly become one of the big three in the presidential race. Whereas Hawking is not even a footnote, even in the history of the Green Party. And so I fear that the Green Party has committed political suicide. We'll see. Uh, Brooke is in Washington State in the United States. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Brooke. Hi, uh, George. Uh, a big fan. Uh, love your show. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, calling about uh, something that's a little bit of, uh, off topic. Uh, if you're following the growing water crisis between uh, Egypt and Ethiopia uh, over a uh, dam that's being built along the Nile, the Blue Nile. Yes. Uh, which originates in Ethiopia and... Uh, uh, basically, it, it looks like it's going to turn into a much bigger conflict than it is right now. It might be more of a headline maybe a few months from now as they begin filling the, the dam, which has been under construction since 2011. Uh, and uh, I was just wondering if that's something that you're following and what your thoughts are. Uh, well, I am following I, it, uh, Brooke, though I suspect not as closely as I should and must. Uh, or as closely as you are. Uh, the, the idea of damming the Nile uh, is obviously pregnant with enormous dangers and provocations uh, to, to Egypt, to the Sudan. Uh, these are very dangerous things to do without agreement. Uh, and no agreement has been reached. What I can't quite get is what's the superpower involvement in this? After all, both Egypt and Ethiopia are client states 
uh, of, uh, of the West, of the United States in particular. Uh, so does the West have a dog in this fight? Uh, what's what's uh, it all about? Brooke, tell us in two minutes if you can. Oh, uh, I... That's uh, uh, something that I'm not sure about either. Um, I, I do know that there were treaties that were signed uh, back in the 19, at the end of the 1920s and uh, reinforced in the, at the end of the 1950s between Egypt and Sudan and uh, the United Kingdom, I believe. Uh, but Ethiopia never signed to it. Uh, the, obviously, the Nile itself originates, I, I guess a lot of your viewers will know, uh, in the highlands of Ethiopia. Uh, and then Ethiopians have... I guess, uh, raised $4 billion to, to build the Nile, or to, to build a dam, uh, which is supposed to provide electricity to about 60% of the population once complete. Uh, so it's, it's a game changer in that area. Um, there is industrialization happening in Ethiopia. The new uh, prime minister, Abiy, has uh, promised to privatize certain por portions of the economy, and maybe that could create some amount of interest in the West. Uh, and this might uh, facilitate that, so that could be part of it. But mm. I don't know the whole story because it's well, not I'll really discussed. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, the, the editor has noted it, and we will return to it. We'll get our, a guest on that knows the ins and outs of it. Brooke, thanks for bringing okay. it up. Uh, I've got to go because there's a caller from Fife in Scotland on the line. James. Hello, George. Welcome. Go ahead, sir. Thank you very much. I was wondering... Um, it's regarding the, the killing of Soleimani, the Iranian general, and mm. I was just, I'm just trying to work out why the, the Americans have actually done that. Could it possibly be they're maybe trying to soften up the Iranians for you know, a war that could be coming somewhere down the line? Because he was quite an inspirational figure to a lot of people there. And um, so and, and if, if Trump were to be re-elected and he doesn't have to worry about that, they could then go to war and, and whatnot without him having to worry about it affecting his re-election. Well, I, you so know, I, 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 I honestly don't believe that Trump wants to go to war. I don't think he wants to go to war with anyone. I think he is a creature of the deal. I think it's about bluster and, and bluff and uh, taking things to the edge uh, in order to secure advantage in the final uh, settlement of affairs. I believe the people that want war in the United States are not Trump, but the deep state enemies of Trump in the intelligence apparatus, in the Pentagon, in the military, industrial and financial uh, complex, uh, the uh, the dark forces who profit from war were the people behind uh, the assassination of Soleimani. I think that Trump is easily led like a sofa bearing the impression uh, of whomsoever last sat upon him. Uh, but I think his instincts are against having wars. Um, as to what has been achieved well, I suppose Soleimani was a very, very important military figure, a general of uh, quite legendary proportions. I mean, uh, not just the top general in Iran, but much more widely authoritative in the region. 
a man who understood politics and military science and who might have become uh, the, the supreme leader in due course. Uh, although not a scholar, uh, but a soldier, uh, he was scholarly enough uh, that he might have had his hat in the ring uh, upon the death or retirement of Ayatollah Khamenei. So it may have had more uh, to do with that, with stopping his rise and rise inside uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran. James, good call, very interesting issue. Uh, and uh, again, one that we keep under very close observation. I don't myself believe that the US will go to Iran uh, to have a war. Uh, there are other wars uh, that they might fight instead, other proxy wars uh, that they might fight instead. But if anything over the last few months is taught to us, it's this, that the United States doesn't actually fancy a war with Iran, and neither does its closest allies in the region. James, thanks for the call. I've got to go to the news with Jamie Lowe. Curious about our curriculum? Have something to say? Then call us now to join the debate on the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Tune in every Tuesday to Loud and Clear for a regular segment called False Profits, a weekly look at Wall Street and corporate capitalism, where we talk about the big economic issues of the week from the point of view of working people, the poor, and the U.S. position in the global economy. Join us this Tuesday and every Tuesday with financial policy analyst Daniel Sankey right here on Radio Sputnik. It's time to double down with Max and Stacy. Yeah, double down. We're talking markets, finance, business, economics, ka-ching, bling, just about everything money-related on Sputnik. It's called Double Down. We're asking, are dead cats bouncing or have fundamentals changed? That's this week on Double Down. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. Radio Sputnik News. More than 600,000 people have now died from coronavirus around the world, nearly a quarter of them in the United States. For the second day in a row, the largest single-day increase in cases has been recorded, the World Health Organization has revealed. The record increase came on Saturday, as the total rose by 259,848 in just 24 hours. Deaths rose by 7,360, the biggest one-day increase since the 10th of May. Total global coronavirus cases have also surpassed 14 million, another milestone in the spread of the disease, which has killed over 600,000 people in the past seven months. On Friday, India became the third country in the world to record more than one million cases of the virus, behind only the US and Brazil. In Britain, the lifting of lockdown restrictions has not led to a spike in coronavirus cases, the UK's national statistician has said, but he issued a warning for the autumn, as Prime Minister Boris Johnson insisted he does not want a second national shutdown. In Zimbabwe, more than 105,000 people have been arrested since March for violating regulations aimed at curbing the spread of coronavirus. 
Around a thousand were arrested in the last two days for unnecessary movement or for not wearing face masks, police say. Critics have accused the government of using the measures to target the opposition and arrest activists, which it denies. Under current regulations, all Zimbabweans returning from abroad are required to remain in quarantine for three weeks at a government-approved facility. According to police, a total of 276 people had fled quarantine centres, including some who tested positive for coronavirus. A man has been arrested in connection with a fire at Nantes Cathedral that destroyed the grand organ and blew out stained glass windows. A 39-year-old is a Rwandan refugee who worked at the 15th century Gothic structure as a volunteer and was in charge of locking up on Friday night. According to reports, arson has been suspected, but investigators are also looking at a possible short circuit being responsible. Twitter has taken down a video retweeted by Donald Trump that contained music from the US rock band Linkin Park, citing a copyright complaint. The content was replaced with a notice saying this media has been disabled in response to a report by the copyright owner. It's understood that the band's management company made the complaint. It's the latest incident in an increasingly fractious relationship between the social media platform and the US president, who's accused Twitter of stifling free speech. Linkin Park later tweeted that they did not endorse the US president. Two new photographs have been released to mark the marriage of Prince Andrew's daughter Beatrice. Significantly, her father is missing from the photos. Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, stepped back from royal duties last year and has faced ongoing questions about his links with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. He was also a close friend of Ghislaine Maxwell, who's in custody in New York, accused of procuring young girls for Epstein. More than 100 wild animals, including at least eight rare rhinos, have died in recent flooding at a national park in northeast India. The Kaziranga Park in Assam State is home to the world's largest population of one-horned rhinos, which faced extinction at the turn of the century. But this year's monsoon rains have almost 85% of the park underwater. The floods have also killed at least 190 people and displaced millions in Assam as well as Nepal. Kaziranga Park, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, is home to at least 2,400 one-horned rhinos. A 50-mile wide swarm of flying ants has been making its way over the UK and it's so big that it's been spotted from space. The enormous cloud of insects was picked up by the Met Office's weather radar over Kent and Sussex on England's southeast coast today. A video was released by the Met Office alongside a tweet saying, it's not raining in London, Kent or Sussex, but our radar says otherwise. The radar is actually picking up a swarm of flying ants across the southeast. And finally, it's taken a little while, well over 6,800 years, give or take a day or two, but the first comet to be visible with the naked eye in decades has appeared in the northern sky. The comet is called Neowise. Its orbit takes it almost 6,800 years to complete, meaning that the last generation of people to see it would have lived during the 5th millennium BC. This was a time well before the written word and when the global human population was around 40 million people. Even though Neowise is distant from Earth, with its closest approach being on July the 22nd, being almost as far away as Mars, it's still visible in the night sky to the naked eye, hovering near the northern horizon. It may get brighter over the next week, but what level it reaches will depend primarily on how much material erupts from its surface, rather than its distance from the Earth. This material consists of highly reflective ice particles from the nucleus of the comet erupting outwards, shining when they catch the sunlight. And that's the latest here on Sputnik News. I'm Jamie Lowe.
listening to Radio Sputnik. Telling the untold. Welcome to the Open University of the Airwaves with George Galloway. Only on Sputnik Radio. Well, the great Dr. Richard Wolff coming up, professor of economics, author of Understanding Socialism, host of Economic Update, and co-founder of democracyatwork.info, all on the U.S. election and on the U.S. economy, coming up at uh, quarter past the hour. Uh, but you uh, have got your calls in in big numbers, so I'll have to take one now. It's from Julian in London. Go ahead, Julian. Hello again, George. We spoke last time about the annexation uh, of the West Bank. Still hasn't happened just, yet. No, it hasn't. And I'm wondering if the, the corruption charge of uh, Netanyahu might have thrown a spanner in the works. I don't know. Uh, there's a huge uprising in Israel uh, of uh, Jewish people who have had enough of their prime minister. Uh, there were violent attacks on the Prime Minister's residence during the week. I uh, was interviewed about it on RT America earlier this week. Uh, the complaints about him are uh, that he's uh, corrupt, he's indicted, he's on trial uh, for corruption, but also that the economy in Israel and the handling of the virus in Israel has been very bad and is very bad, and that's being blamed on him. So it could be uh, that his uh, political position is just too weak at the moment in Israeli politics. Although there is a coalition of sorts, uh, uh, Benny Gantz, the alternative prime minister, yeah. who is due to take over uh, halfway through the cycle, he'd definitely like to be in the hot seat earlier rather than later. Last word to you, Julian. Well, well I'm just wondering, will he end up like Ehud Omer? And um, as some of the Israel supporters point out to me, Israel have held prime ministers to account, and it was an Arab judge that sent Ehud Olmert uh, to prison. So at least if they don't uh, always do justice, they have brought leaders to justice. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and it's also the case that there's no other country in the region that would do that. Uh, the, uh, not just prime ministers but presidents of Israel have gone to prison. And Olmert was just the last one. And I'm, I'm perfectly sure that if Netanyahu is found guilty, uh, he will also be sent to prison. Uh, because you can't possibly have uh, your prime minister found guilty of corruption and being given uh, community service. So I'm sure that he, like uh, former Prime Minister Olmert, uh, will go to prison. But the, uh, I think, I'm not, if I'm not wrong, one president of Israel actually died uh, in prison. Uh, so when it comes to uh, their own people, their own domestic politics, uh, they have zero tolerance for corruption in Israel, and they have a functioning uh, justice system uh, that uh, works better than ours. The problem is, of course, in the big picture, uh, where there are millions of people living under Israeli rule, uh, for whom there's no justice uh, whatsoever. Julian, thanks uh, for that call. Federico uh, is in London. Let's hear from him. Federico, welcome. Hello, George. 
Um, my comment is going to be about uh, General Soleimani. Um, he was not a clergyman, and therefore he could never become the supreme leader. Yeah. But he could very easily become the president of Iran um, had he decided to leave the battlefield for the presidential residence. And in fact, he lost his life defending Arabs against Arabs' enemies. Today, Iran is the only country in the world which supports Palestinian freedom, which is fighting in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, against Zionist enemies of Arabs. It is the most ridiculous thing to say that the Iranians harbor hatred against Arabs. They are sacrificing their lives on a daily basis. They are the most generous nation to the Arab people in the world. So, yeah. there, there, there's a lot of Arabs don't like Iran's uh, powerful position inside Iraq. You're not disputing that? Yes, I know there are a lot of Arabs who indeed dislike Iran. But that is envy. Mm. It is jealousy. Uh, it is prejudice. And are there, is, are there any Iranians that don't like Arabs? Yes, indeed there are. There are a lot of Iranians who are very much against the current government of Iran and are Zionists and pro-Israeli, and they absolutely hate Arabs. Well, the, the, the last time I was in Tehran, uh, I found a lot of people uh, who were not against uh, the Islamic regime in Iran, or they wouldn't have been there uh, for a conference yes. uh, at which I attended. And I can assure you uh, that the prevailing uh, atmosphere in the conference uh, had nothing yes. to do with Islam and everything to do with Iranian nationalism. Are you disputing that uh, there's a, a thing called Iranian nationalism? I do not. George... When the Arabs, uh, almost weeks after the Muhammad invaded Iran, they destroyed everything. They destroyed wall sort of freezers. They destroyed anything that they had their hands on, which showed uh, Persian pre-Islamic culture. They instituted a year zero policy in Iran. They tried to change the language of the country and completely change the culture of the country. There is reason why there are Iranians who dislike Arabs, because after 1,400 years, there are still so many Arabs who resent Iranians. In fact, Saddam Hussein, in his speech justifying the attack uh, on Iran, said, for the last time, we will push all Persians into the sea. Well, that and, didn't work I, out, uh, of course, uh, although uh, the uh, Western countries were on both sides. Uh, Iraq was encouraged to invade Iran by the Western countries uh, that later hanged uh, the Iraqi president. Uh, so, of course, I'm with you on these things, uh, Federico. Uh, I'm not here defending uh, the meddling and 
much worse than meddling, uh, of uh, empire uh, in the Middle East, neither on the Arab side of it or on the uh, Iranian side of it. Uh, I'm just making the uh, point to you uh, that amongst the uh, Salafist, Wahhabist, Takfiri uh, trends in the Arab world, of course, Iran is their number one enemy uh, for sectarian reasons. Not because they're Arabs, not because they're Iranian, uh, but because they're Shia. Uh, and this trend has its echo around the world, even here in Britain. Uh, the, the Takfiri, the Salafist, Saudi-sponsored Wahhabism is everywhere amongst the Muslims, everywhere. Have we lost Federico? Federico, go ahead. Alas, alas. Forgive me, Federico, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make that long peroration and not let you respond to it, uh, but thanks. Uh, now look, we've got a second poll. Why wasn't Prince Andrew photographed at his daughter's wedding? A, the Queen banned him. B, he was at Pizza Express in walking. C, he was having plastic surgery. I'd add a D, he was sweating too much. Um, this is, of course, a reference to the royal wedding that wasn't, uh, which took place this weekend, where Prince Andrew's daughter, Beatrice, uh, was, uh, was married. Uh, and uh, congratulations to, uh, to the family. I hope uh, she has a long and happy married life. But it was significant uh, that the father of the bride is not in any of the pictures. That can happen, of course. Now, here's the voting already. Uh, a, the Queen banned him 45%. I suspect that's the real reason. And B, he was at Pizza Express and walking, 48%. And C, he was having plastic surgery, 7%. You can vote now on my uh, Twitter feed. Now, the doyen of economists and political analysts in the United States is undoubtedly uh, Dr. Richard Wolff. Professor of Economics, and I'm very glad to say he not only joins me now, he's been waiting for a moment or two, for which I apologize, Professor. Uh, let's talk economy first, and then politics, if we may. How bad is the American economy today? Well, let's put it this way, uh, George. Uh, I occasionally have cups of coffee with my colleagues on the right and in the center, and of course also on the left where I am. And here's what we say to each other. Even though we don't agree on how we got into the current situation, nor do we agree on how to get out of it. But here's what we agree. This is the worst condition of the American economy in our lifetimes, and most of us have white hair. So you can get the answer to your question is, the economic crisis of this country is unspeakably bad. We have uh, beyond anything that we have seen at least as far back as the Great Depression of the 1930s and in some ways already worse than that. Adam Brate, if you will, the, the, the key statistics, unemployment 
uh, and so on? I'd be glad to. Over 52 million Americans, our labor force is normally considered to be about 150 million people. Out of that, 52 million, more than a third, have had to file for unemployment insurance compensation over the last 15 or so weeks. We've never seen this kind of unemployment uh, since the Great Depression, and even then it took several years of depression to get that bad. This time it only took several weeks of depression to get that bad. Number two, we have the greatest degree of debt, government debt, corporate debt, and private individual debt that we have ever had in the history of this country, and the debts are rapidly accumulating as I speak for all three levels. Uh, we don't have any precedent for this sort of uh, thing. Number three, in a sign of how desperate the situation for us is, you have the Federal Reserve, our central bank, the equivalent of your Bank of England, has now pumped somewhere between three and five trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars of brand new money into the economy in order by flooding everyone with cash to somehow get them to buy or spend that money and perhaps somehow, no one can specify how, uh, to revive the economy. It has not worked, and this is my final point, because the money doesn't go to hire anybody, since with a third of your labor force unemployed, you cannot sell what is already in inventory, and it's not going to expand any business for the same reason. So all of that money flows into the stock market, where indeed it has pushed the price of stocks up, which means since only about six to seven percent of our people have significant uh, amounts of stocks or shares in companies, what you are doing is further exacerbating the inequality. Think of it. The top six or seven percent riding on a rising stock market alongside the vast majority of our people desperate, either because they're unemployed or because of the fact of unemployment, employers are everywhere forcing down wages and benefits, threatening their workers that if they don't accept it, well, there are plenty of unemployed people that can be hired. You put all of that together, and it's only the tip of the iceberg, and you get some sense of the desperate economic crisis we are living through. How I wish you were running for president uh, right now, but you're not, uh, and we'll come to those that are uh, in a minute. Um, but uh, many people in America, I'm sure, and many watching and listening to this show will imagine uh, that this is all because of the coronavirus. Uh, but it isn't, is it? Not at all, a very important point. Uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research, uh, a, a government and well-established agency here in the United States, is the official record keeper. They're the ones who decide whether a recession or depression has happened, when it started, when it's over, and so on. 
They issued a report about two and a half weeks ago indicating that the current economic crisis began in February of this year. February is before the coronavirus hit the United States and establishes quite clearly that what we have is a breakdown, a downturn, a recession, a depression, a bust, whatever word you want of our capitalist economy, made much worse by the pandemic. But to blame the pandemic is really silly because we know that capitalism has downturns on average every four to seven years. It has had that for several centuries. The last one we had here was in 2008 and 9, so we were precisely overdue for the next one. And all we have now is the horror of watching a very bad economic downturn made worse by the global pandemic. Now, the uh, 1930s Great Depression uh, was only brought to an end by rearmament and war. What's going to bring it to an end this time? Well, we're all wondering. We're all wondering when it will end, how it will end, what the form of the ending will be. I don't think anyone has a very clear idea. Um, we have a desperate president, um, in case people are not aware of this. Uh, his poll numbers are declining sharply. His opponent in the presidential race that culminates early in November uh, is gaining on him uh, a bigger and bigger margin, um, and he is behaving appropriately. The only war that's on the horizon, and clearly that is one of the options they are considering, the only serious war would be the one with China. And everything is being done by the administration here, Trump and the Republican Party, to provoke, to attack uh, larger things, small things. It's an endless effort to uh, basically scapegoat the Chinese. Uh, Mr. Trump refers to the coronavirus as, quote unquote, the Chinese flu, uh, as if to blame them uh, for the miserable performance of the United States government and private sector in dealing, or rather failing to deal with this virus. Um, there are saber rattling against the Iranians. There is saber rattling virtually against everybody. But mostly this president so far uh, seems to understand that if he were to add to the current disintegration of this society, an external war that a large portion of our people would oppose from the beginning is probably going to make his dilemma even worse. Uh, from the basement tapes uh, of, uh, of uh, the near corpse uh, that is Joe Biden, we hear <laughs> equal uh, uh, invective rhetoric threats implied and explicit against Russia. We've, we've reached a situation where in your country, God bless you all, uh, one half of the political class has gone insane about China and the other half uh, of the political class has gone insane about Russia. 
Absolutely. I could not put it better. Um, I call them scapegoats. It's a way uh, the attack on Russia begins with the defeat of Hillary Clinton. Uh, they, the Democratic Party establishment could not admit the colossal failures of that party, of its government, including, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Obama, the last president. They could not admit that they had, in effect, defeated themselves. So they needed an external scapegoat. And the Russians were the convenient whipping boy. Uh, and so the Democrats became the party of scapegoating Russia. And Mr. Trump, who needed a, an equivalent scapegoat, especially as his regime got itself into more and more difficulty by virtue of their policies, and they found it in China. And one of the reasons, and this is of course troubling, one of the reasons Mr. Trump has turned on the Chinese is because he knows that the established Democratic Party is almost as willing as he is to scapegoat the Chinese too and only ask in return some support from the Russians, uh, excuse me, from the Republicans to scapegoat the Russians. As usual, the Republicans ignore what the Democrats want, but the Democrats are all too willing to join in the demonization uh, of China. Uh, just to give you one concrete example, the United States continues to this day to wage major war in Afghanistan, in, in Iraq, and elsewhere against Muslim people, having killed, injured, and destroyed Muslim countries. By comparison, what the Chinese are doing, and I'm not defending it, but what they are doing uh, in their own country is a, a bare footnote, if you like, on what the United States has done. The arrogance, the, the hypocrisy of these attacks, even, even now after all that we have been through, is really stunning and I think testifies to the fact that this is a country here, the United States, of which I am a lifelong citizen. This is a country that is spinning out of control. What you see in the statistics for the coronavirus, which are spectacularly bad here, uh, is really, again, another symbol or sign of just how bad the situation here has become. How bad and how uh, entirely uh, ineffective uh, the political system is. There's no party, there's no person, there's no system which appears to be able to pull you out of all of this, Professor. Absolutely. I mean, we are very, many of us, and it has to be said honestly and on a program like yours is a good place, very disappointed that uh, Bernie Sanders and the enthusiasm and support he proved he had made the decision uh, to fold his tents and to become the... Uh, the chorus behind Mr. Biden. It was a moment when you could have had a break, when you could have had an independent movement. Even when he made the decision before the virus hit, it would have been the right thing to do. But in the 
with the benefit of hindsight, seeing the disintegration that's going on now, um, that would have been such an independent effort. The only positive poll that thinking people across the spectrum would have turned to, not so much because it was good, but because the other two, the established Republicans and Democrats, are so unremittingly awful. It's an honor uh, always to interview you. I suspect this interview uh, will go far and wide. Professor Dr. Richard Wolf, thank you very much indeed for joining thank us you, on George, the... Thank you, George, and my, my best to you as well. Thank you. I appreciate that very, very much indeed. That was uh, exceedingly powerful, I must say. Anthony is in Detroit. He wants to talk about these things too. Uh, Anthony, go ahead. Hi, George. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, just generally there is a huge untapped constituency in American, you know, nationwide politics for just an anti-war stance. You know, I mean, it could be most likely left, but you get a lot of right voters, too. We're just not only no war with China, but just disentangling from the situation that we're already messing up around the world. But so I think there's a huge untapped constituency for that. I don't think Bernie Sanders focused hard enough on that. Um, obviously, Howie Hawkins has issues there. So, it's, well, Hawkins uh, it's is uh, Hawkins is, is he's uh, completely incapable of uh, of riding that wave uh, of generating that independent uh, power. Uh, he's uh, he's the most unprepossessing political figure I have ever interviewed in my whole life. Uh, Jesse Ventura might have been able to do it. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, being like anti-war or kind of skeptical of the government. Well, that's I, like his, you his know, Jesse's anti-war, but he was also a war hero. He was a Navy SEAL. Right. He had uh, he served fought in yeah. Vietnam, uh, so he would have he would have been able to touch all the bases, all the constituencies. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. But OK, so the real thing I called about was I think there's a chance that uh, the speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, there's a good chance she might not win her reelection because for the first time, I'm understanding she's going to have to go against a Democrat, you know, whereas she's always been going against a Republican. And, you know, they were able to, like, call her a San Francisco liberal, you know, like she's some kind of left wing person. And, but this is the first challenge she'll have in the general election where it, they're not, it's going to be coming from the other side. They're going to be saying she's a conservative, you know. So I think there's a chance that Speaker of the You think she might lose? Uh, I, I, I suspect that she'll win. But Anthony, thank you uh, very much indeed for that. I need to take a 60 second break. Hello, people of Britain. It's your Prime Minister here, Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah. Terry, sorry. Oh, I've got to take a call. Yo, Dominic! No, no, I'm not busy. What's up? Oh. Well, what do you mean you're in time? Well, you shouldn't be up there. You should be in bloody London, for God's sake. Get yourself back to work, man. And you're sure you weren't spotted? With your eyesight? Well, if you wanted a castle, man, you should have just said I could have got you one. You know, just... Get yourself back to work. Yep. Yep. I love you too. Okay, bye. Well, 
Hope nobody heard that. Huh. Now, you're listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Gallery, where there are no tuition fees. <laughs> we'll see about that, George. Radio Sputnik. The mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. The world is our classroom, and you're welcome to sit in and join the seminar. So why wasn't Prince Andrew photographed at his daughter's wedding? A, the Queen banned him, 49% up four. B, he was at Pizza Express in Woking, 44%. Coming, it's down four, but it's quite close, uh, actually. Uh, C, he was having plastic surgery. That remains at 7%. You can vote now until uh, the end of the show, actually, on my Twitter feed, at George Galloway. Let's take a call from Belfast. It's Liam. Go ahead, Liam. Hi, George. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Hope you're, hope you're well. Good, thank um, you. Yes, there's been a good show, I think. Good stuff, yeah, that has been. I, just, I want to talk to you about, um, I don't know if you saw this, uh, this thing with the Chinese ambassador being ambushed with the footage of the Uyghur Muslims um, on the BBC, but I, I read, I read about it. I didn't see it. No. Yeah, I'd say myself. I, I, this is obviously a very serious situation. I don't, I, I don't want to say it's genocide, but obviously it's, it's getting to the point where your your concentration camps or re-education camps, as they're calling them, um, it's getting a very serious situation. And I, I just, I'm not one for conspiracy. Just as you were saying, you want a conspiracy theorist. Uh, you've gone to speaker for. <laughs> okay, we'll try and get you back. Um, Mary says Prince Andrew isn't allowed out of the basement these days. Poor thing, he has much in common with Biden. Maybe they can compare hair sniffing techniques. And Ian says perhaps. He's a coward with a guilty conscience and knows the effect that showing his face would have. And JPR says uh, Prince Andrew was in the photo. He was there disguised in <laughs> there disguised as Prince Philip, whose timely death last week meant the Queen's favourite son could take his place by her side, hiding in plain sight. That's in poor taste. JPR. Long life to the Duke of Edinburgh. Liana says, Pizza Express, no doubt about it. And Limbo says, he was at home watching the video with Tom Markle, Megan's dad. He doesn't do weddings either, apparently. And on Facebook, Richard says, don't agree with anything, with everything, George says, but have more time and respect for him than any other politician alive. Thank you, Richard. And on YouTube, uh, Zaid says, America's a big mess at the moment. I mean, really big mess. It's time for America to concentrate on America and its people than wasting more of its last pennies on wars. And Joanne says, no wonder America's a mess. Not one political party addresses the real issues. Tony says, Prince Andrew wasn't photographed because it would be silly for him to be seen giving his daughter away when recently it's usually other people's daughters giving him away. Liam's back on the line. Go ahead, Liam. Hi, hi, Joyce. Uh, I, I think we lost you there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Basically, I, think, I heard you mention Biden there, and I think, I think your basic point was he is a bit of a neocon, um, as well as the other guys. I, I, I agree with you. I think if, um, if, I, if I'm one of those guys, obviously China is the enemy right now. 
I would be looking at, you know, sponsoring some kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say jihadist uprising in China, but... You well, know, they have been. I mean, that's yeah. the, this is a point which uh, seems to have uh, uh, passed Andrew Marr by. Uh, yeah. The reason there's an issue uh, in Xinjiang province and with some Uyghur people is that an Al-Qaeda ISIS insurgency was generated by the United States in that area. I have a specialist and certain knowledge uh, on this and have done for uh, more than 25 years. Uh, yeah. the, the, the struggle in, in Xinjiang province in China is not between the Chinese government and the Muslims, uh, but between the Chinese government and the extremist Islamist factions uh, that have killed uh, huge numbers of people in jihad. Yeah, well, that, that doesn't surprise me, George, that the Americans are doing that because they've got history of doing it, haven't they? Sure. They, they want to make out that, uh, you know, obviously they, you know, it, the jihadists are the ultimate enemy, but their secret have been funding them. Well, not secret, but they've been well, openly quite. funding them for the years. The same you know, jihadists but, that knocked down the Twin Towers and yep. murdered 5,000 Americans are the same people that we are backing in Syria, for example. Yeah, Mr. Ben Salman as well with his, his hacksaw. It's really, uh, I think we're going to have to do uh, a whole item on the show uh, on this point, uh, Liam, because it's quite clear that, uh, you know, there are some people who believe uh, that after killing millions of Muslims over the last uh, 20 years, the West is suddenly concerned about the plight of Muslims in China. I mean, how stupid do you have to be? To believe it's that. Funny, yeah. It's like when the BNP saying that, you know, you, you can't be anti-Semitic and they've got the Israeli flags out, but, you know, 70 years ago they would have been on the front streets uh, marching against the Jewish shops and Jewish businesses, wanting to close them down and basically kick them out of the country, isn't it? Exactly so. Liam, thank you uh, for that call. Nick asks on Facebook, where is Norma the legend? That is a very good question. We didn't hear from her last week. I do hope that she's okay. Gary says, what would you think about legalizing cannabis in the UK and giving all profits to the health service? I know I'm against the further stupefaction of our country, totally against uh, legalizing uh, dangerous drugs. Steve says, I don't think anyone knows what Trump is thinking. He's too dense. And John says, that's not a comet in the sky. It's Norma on her Vespa going home from the pub. <laughs> Constance says there could be an uprising in the U.S. with its current economic and political problems worsening dramatically during this pandemic. But the question is, will it be progressive or reactionary? And on Facebook, Mark says, I wonder if American life would be better under Hillary Clinton. I never wonder about that at all, Mark, uh, because I'm perfectly sure that the answer to that would be no. Shiab says the reason they don't want Huawei network is the National Security Agency can't hack into the network to monitor your calls. This is the main reason. Nasir says Huawei has guaranteed that its network equipment will not be compromised. So I do think it's an exaggeration to oust them 
out of the country. And Steve says on YouTube, I don't think Huawei will lead to conflict. Chinese are not that stupid. It's not the Chinese I'm worried about, Steve. Uh, Rogue Cow says the USA is a magical fairy bank, can print unlimited money while passing debt and crumbling infrastructure onto the poor taxpayers. And Dew, D-E-W, D-O, Dew, says, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, let's go to David in Edinburgh. Go ahead, David. Uh, good evening, George. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you thought we could stop the rampage of the Scottish National Party in Scotland and how to fight this cancer of, of nationalism, which is, which is tearing the country apart. You know, it's turning friend against friend, family against family, and it's a terrible time, and my fear is it's going to get worse and worse. I wonder what you thought we could combat it. Well, very powerful uh, call, David. Uh, I'm back in Scotland. Uh, I'm uh, fighting the elections uh, next May uh, for the uh, Alliance for Unity. You can follow us, actually, on Twitter, Alliance for Unity. Uh, 10,000 followers in eight days. It's really taken off. There is a big public uh, for someone to step forward and fill the vacuum uh, that exists in Scottish politics, uh, where the unionist parties cut each other's throats and the Scottish nationalists rule forever uh, on a minority, very small minority, uh, of the votes. Far more people uh, don't vote for the SNP uh, than vote for them. Uh, but if they're all standing against each other and failing to unite, uh, then, uh, of course, this endless never end them that I talked about earlier will continue. Uh, I will be speaking, uh, David, on Monday night at 8 o'clock on all social media platforms on Scottish nationalism, the SNP and the coming battle for Britain. Uh, thanks uh, for the call, giving me the chance to say that. Uh, I didn't expect it, but it's a, a useful one. Uh, Julian is in Lewis in East Sussex. Go ahead, Julian. on a minority. Yes, switch the radio off, yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Tom It's okay. Okay, um, so I was just interested in the fact that um, both the left and the right media in the United States have uh, dumped on Russiagate. So if you look at... Um, uh, RMFA on uh, Rolling Stones' Useful Idiots channel, a great demolition of um, Russiagate. And no, he's, uh, he's really strong on this, yeah. He is. And then you go to the Duran, which is a conservative channel. And I'm not conservative, but they have... <laughs> picked up on yet more news on the demolition of Rushgate. And it is, it is really important that people understand how bad that is for international relations, how awful that is. Anyway, it was just... Well, the, the Russians are getting a bit of a break at the moment. 
it's the it's the Chinese that are getting it more. Um, they are. But the, the, it's uh, it's two cheeks of the same backside, isn't it? Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, why can't we live with the Russians, live with the Chinese, well, and we'll even have to. build? We'll have to. Russia, Russia is the biggest country in Europe. Moscow is the biggest city in Europe. Yeah. In fact, Russia yeah, right, is the right. biggest country in the whole world. Uh, its well, economy, when linked different. with the Chinese, uh, which is the second biggest economy in the world, uh, will soon be the biggest economy in the world. Uh, you, you don't have any choice but to live with them, Julian. Well, I want, I want to work with them. Exactly. I want to live with them. That's what we I should have them. been doing right. after Brexit. They're just people. They're just our cousins and, and brothers and sisters. Anyway, that's enough. Thank you, right. Julian. Thank you. Uh, Tarif is in New Orleans. Tarif, welcome. Um, how you, how, um, good afternoon, sir. Um, I'm glad to be calling back on your show again. I want to talk about the protest that's going on in Oregon. Um, I'm just a um, bystander. You know, I'm from New Orleans. I've been watching the news lately. I've been hearing that you have this political football going back and forth. What they call it? These men drive around in these minivans that's unmarked. You got people jumping out the vans, uh, federal agencies with military uniforms on, and just taking people off the street. What the, the news media and Nancy Pelosi is not saying is that these men is act, actually is protected by the Patriot Act. They're not bringing up the Patriot Act at all. Is this this is the situation up, in Portland that you're talking about, is it? Yes, sir. It sure is. It's really quite that, horrific. Situation. It's quite horrific, isn't it? It is, sir. I, I, I totally agree. It, it's very horrific. But they, when it, if they go to trial with this, they're going to be protected. Those um, agencies, they're going to be protected because of the Patriot Act and the Pfizer Act, right? They need to repair those two um Ungrateful. I mean, those two well, laws. Who's, who's going to do that? Good. These acts got bipartisan support. Exactly. Um, because uh, what's his name? Joe Biden. He um he helped. Biden wrote. Biden wrote it. He wrote the Patriot yeah, he, Act. He, he did. And plus, he was on a ninety-four crime bill too, that led to the uh, lockup of a whole bunch of poor people. Black people, uh, poor white people, Hispanics, and whatnot. And now they're putting this man up as a savior. That's not right. Well, he's the most dilapidated savior I've ever seen. Not since El Cid was strapped to his horse whilst dead have I seen a leader like Joe Biden. Tarif, thank you very much for the call. David says, congratulations on getting Professor Wolf on your show. The man is so clear, concise, and knowledgeable. That is why I follow him avidly. Your comment, he could do worse than run for president, does not go amiss. I said more than that. I said how I wish that it was you that was running for president, and I do. Yinka says the Jeffrey Epstein story is fascinating, but it's absolutely disastrous. They abused tons of girls, probably boys as well, for decades. It was a global network of wealthy people abusing children. And on Facebook, Mo says, what do you think about the emerging Green Party? Where is it emerging, Mo? 
It's emerged in Ireland to prop up the worst government in living memory. It's uh, emerged in Scotland to prop up the worst form of nationalism. Uh, it's emerged in America putting up a candidate uh, that you wouldn't let go out for a loaf of bread to the shops. Nikki says, cannabis is not a dangerous drug, George Galloway. Actually, it is, but I don't have time to argue the toss with you. I was asked if I'm in favour of legalising it, and the answer is an unequivocal no. We've got enough stupefaction in the country already. But clear the decks, because the legend that is Norma in Bristol is on the line. Norma, you're a sound for sore ears. <laughs> George, I wish I did have a Vesper in the sky. <laughs> I thought that was a wonderful image. Yeah, it was. I've had a terrible week. Very stressful. My computer's been hacked. I haven't even got a computer now. However, hacked, I have... Hacked by whom? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's terrible. People, have, I, I can't even go into it all. It's been very complicated, and I passed it over to a friend... And I think he's going to get me a new computer and everything wiped and new stuff on. Um, it's been very stressful, actually. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. And what about yeah. your health and your husband? Oh, fine. But listen, I want to tell you about my two dreams I had recently. Wow. The first was Ole Gunnar's son, oh, what's his name? Solskjaer. Solskjaer, yeah. Yeah, the Man United manager. He took me out... Um, to see all the European capitals, um, and he was very nice to me. Now, he mustn't be smiling tonight, I don't think, because he lost, No, he? but he is a very nice man, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. But the second one included you, George. This is perfectly true. You sent me a packet of cigarettes for my birthday, but there were only three and a half cigarettes inside the packet, which wow. is very odd. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing dream. A packet of, first of all, that I would send you a packet of yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, quite. But secondly, that I'd nick 16 and a half of them. Yeah, and you've broken one in half. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what I did want to say at the end of all this is that um, I do hope my next dream will be for you, for a lovely bouncing baby, for a home birth for you and your wife. So let's sort of think of something nice. That's such a lovely thing to say, Norma. Uh, it's, uh, the baby's due this week. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've got a feeling that, that uh, it's going to be in the early part of the week. It might even be... No, I might even have managed to avoid it by being at work. Um, ah. But uh, it's a home birth, so there's a bit of extra yeah. stress no, but there. I, I I had a home birth and there was no problem. Yeah. No problem. Of, of course, if there are no problems, it's great because you're in your own environment. Yeah. It's safer than being in a hospital. Uh, and uh, and uh, you, you, your comfort and your family are all around you all the time. But uh, it's when yeah. it isn't. It's when something goes wrong, God forbid, uh, that you're in trouble if you're a, a home birth. Because then you've got to jump in an ambulance. You've got yeah. to call one, get one. And get there. Uh, It'd be all right, George. It'd be all right. I know I, it will. I, I very much hope so. But uh, thank you very much indeed for your kindness. And when I see you, 
uh, I'll replace those cigarettes uh, that I uh, nicked but didn't smoke, I can assure you. Norma, thanks. It's wonderful to hear you again in very good form. Uh, last call of the night, I think. Uh, Ahab in Detroit, Michigan. Go ahead, Ahab. Yes, hi, George. Um, so I was thinking about Biden and his election as president of the United States. Uh, I think him becoming a president is just a continuation of the same old establishment. Sure. Um, it's just going to drive whatever direction America is in right now um, in the same direction. That is uh, a dissolution of, uh, of an empire. Um, related to that dissolution is the state of uh, America's economy especially with the U.S. currency being a fiat currency. I did write something on Facebook uh, on the show's platform uh, saying that for every U.S. dollar that someone maintains outside the U.S. is a free dollar for the U.S. because the U.S. does not pay any money for that other than saying this is our money and we back it. Um, with the U.S. slapping sanctions all over the world willy-nilly, if that blows back and people decide, you know what, we're going to have another currency, let's forget about the U.S. currency, the U.S. stands to lose much more than just uh, losing trade with um, the, the countries that it is slapping sanctions on. Do you know, Ahab, that there are currently 39 countries under sanction from the United States with a combined population of two billion. So one quarter of all the people of the world are currently under sanction by Washington. 39 countries. I counted them up because I, I began to wonder how anyone could know uh, whether a country was sanctioned or not because there were so many of them. And it's 39 countries, two billion people. Can you believe that? Yeah, um, I come from the Middle East, so I track those things down. Well, are you from Lebanon? Yes, sir, I am. Now, they're even sanctioning Lebanon. They're even, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. even threatening right now, uh, Lebanon right now. Yep, right now Lebanon is under pretty much U.S. sanctions, uh, which is pretty much is starving the people into starvation. But to tell you the truth, that's not going to happen because... Um, Again, uh, Iran is going to nullify that, and it's well, already right. happening. They're driving, uh, they're driving uh, Lebanon into the arms of the people that they say that they hate. Uh, it's another example of the law of unintended uh, consequences. Uh, consequences, yeah. I, uh, I had uh, such a wonderful time. I've spoken twice in your part of the States, in, uh, in Dearborn uh, and also in Detroit. Ihab, it's wonderful that, that you were the last call. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. George Galloway, your moat show is the highlight of my week. I spread the gospel of Galloway every Monday morning, says Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. So I'm speaking tomorrow night at 8 on Scottish nationalism and Tuesday night at 8 on China. And you can find that on my Facebook, on my YouTube, on my Twitter, uh, and on the Alliance for Unity 
Twitter feed on the subject of Scottish nationalism. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. I've got to get home now and see if my sixth child has arrived. I hope so. But whenever it arrives, please pray for a safe delivery for my good wife. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, whether I've got a baby or not, I'll be back here next week at the same time in the same place with the mother of all talk shows. May God go with you. <laughs>